Hi everybody, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches Podcast. Every single Friday from the end of December until the start of February, we're giving you the chance to sample just some of the awesome subscriber-only podcast content that our $5 monthly patrons have been exclusively enjoying over the past 12 months. If you like what you hear in this episode and you want more of it, then all you need to do is become a patron of The Dispatches with $5 or more per month at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Or even easier, you can just click on the link in today's show notes and sign up that way. All of our subscriber-only episodes of The Dispatches podcast are now available on Spotify as well, which makes the listening even easier. One more quick thing before we start this free episode of The Dispatches. In 2024, we're going to be launching an awesome new website called The Forge. The Forge is an online platform that will offer lots of new, high-quality video, audio, and live stream content to help you shape your life and your intellect in the fires of goodness, truth, and beauty. The website is still being built, but there is a splash page that is live right now, so head on over to theforge.org.nz and leave your email address so that you can be the first to know when the forge is live and the fires have been lit. The link is in today's show notes. Right, without any further ado, let's jump into this free edition of the Dispatches podcast. And until next time, don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Conservations, the podcast which got its name by literally combining the words conservative and conversations, which is exactly what happens on this show every month. Each episode, we host a conversation with at least one other guest where we go in-depth on a topic or hear about their experiences on this journey we all share together called life. The aim of this show is to foster and promote dialogue which cultivates goodness, truth and beauty, and in doing so, unpacks the richness of the authentic conservative tradition. My hope is that you'll find these conservative conversations intellectually engaging and enriching, and that they will draw you ever more deeply into an authentic, truly flourishing, and more meaningfully lived human experience. In this month's episode, we are going to be talking with Dr. Robert Loretz about the power of music. Robert has a Bachelor of Music in Performance, a Master's of Music with Honours in the Analysis of Music, and a PhD in Ethics entitled Deep Friendship, Virtue and Fulfilment, as well as numerous papers in theology and another four years of study in France in philosophy and theology. He has lectured for the Marist Seminary and for Good Shepherd College, both here in New Zealand, in the history of church music, and has presented lectures in the discernment of sacred music and its history for the Catholic Chaplaincy at Notre Dame, Sydney University, and in Brisbane for the Catholic National Conference of University Students. He was a finalist in every national piano competition in New Zealand in the early 1990s, and he has taught piano and general music privately and in schools over the last few decades. He has also been the musical director for the 10-day Hearts of Flame Catholic Summer School for over 20 years, and he has co-written an opera comedy for tours of New Zealand primary and secondary schools called Singarella, as well as a musical about the founder of the Sisters of Mercy called Catherine Song for the 150th anniversary of St Mary's College in Auckland. He founded the Auckland Sacred Music Choir, Sursum Corda, which he conducted for several decades, as well as developing parish choirs and conducting the North Harbour Women's Choir in Auckland. On top of all of that, 
He has set all of the Christian psalms to newly written modal antiphons and ancient modal psalm tones, and these are used in churches all around New Zealand, Australia and other parts of the world, as well as writing the lyrics, music or both for over 60 different hymns. As a special addition to this episode of Conservations, we will be including snippets from some of Robert's hymns as musical interludes between the discussion, which covers all sorts of music-related topics that we hope you find as enjoyable to listen to as we did to discuss. So without any further ado, let's have this month's conservative conversation with Dr. Robert Loretz about the power of music. Robert, it is great to have you here with us today on Conservations to have this, I think, is a really important conversation about music, a topic that, uh, I don't know, I don't think we talk about it enough. And I think that um, authentic conservatism and authentic conservative thought has a lot of interesting things, I think, to offer in this space. And there's something really beautiful about music that's powerful and transformative. But when I was deciding where to start, I thought, well, where should I start today? And I thought, well, um, I remember probably... I think it was the first time I uh, I ever met you, and it was at an event. It was at a Hearts of Flame Catholic Summer School, a big ten day event that's run in New Zealand. So some of our listeners are Protestants; they may not have heard of that before. And uh, I uh, am a musician myself. Uh, I met this guy called Robert Loretz, and I encountered some of your music, and it was just yeah, I was just in awe of your ability, and there, there was something. I, for me, it really transformed my appreciation of music, particularly the sacredness of what sacred music could be and how important that all was. And 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 I, I, I'm really interested to know, was there a moment in your life when you knew I'm going to be a musician, a music teacher, that that's a, a, a path I'm going to pursue? Or was there, were there other options open to you? Well, thank you for your kind words there, Brendan. Well, I mean, I really do mean them. I really do. Um, for, in terms of... Um yeah, I, I I thought I would be a lawyer, and, and mm. I wanted to be a prosecuting lawyer. <laughs> I, um, could, I could also see you doing that. Yeah, because <laughs> when when we were sick uh, and got to stay home from school, Mum would be watching Crown Court, you know, and the prosecuting <laughs> lawyer was was a real dramatist. And I thought, oh, I'd love to reduce people to tears like they do, and you know. But then, um, I, and I really was right up to the end of school. I was thinking of, of doing law, except that I'd always played the piano from seven years old and. My mother had tricked me into getting up at 6.30 every morning, making them a cup of tea in bed, and then doing my practice for half an hour. And that's all you really need to do to kick off. Was, and, that, was and there music in your family? My mother was yep. very musical, yeah. yeah. She, she um, got to grade 8 by about 12 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, some classical music, mm. just piano. Um, and, um, yeah, I stuck at it. And then I got I, – I, I just happened to get a very, very good piano teacher – uh, at Avondale College, we didn't have much money, and we only learnt off the the teacher that was attached to the school. So we had a nun in St Mary's, thirty dollars a term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we thought, well, they might not be able to afford anymore. And I got to secondary, and Avondale College was one of the few schools that had a permanent piano teacher, government funded. Yeah. So I ended up just paying something like sixty dollars a term there. So you know. Yeah. Like, um, but she was one of the best teachers that Auckland has. Yeah. And um, so she gave me this this real. She actually refined all my technique. I, I had a lot of musicianship, but not yeah. much technique at all. Yeah. And she refined all that. And then um, 
and put me in competitions and put me in exams and all of those letters and all those things. And then, then it just came time. One of my options would be a piano degree. Yeah. You had to audition in seventh form, so I auditioned. And um, then when I got in, and I was the only, well, there were two of us that got in in Auckland, and one the other guy left, so I was the only guy in my year yeah. doing piano. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was a very small little group of people did it. Usually, yeah. you had to get quite a high standard. Yeah. And um, yeah, more or less because I got in, I I I, I thought, well, I, I got in, I should go. <laughs> but also, also, I also thought, well, if I do law, I probably won't enjoy the degree, but I might enjoy the pay. Yeah. Um, but at least if, if I do music and then change my mind later and do something else, I would have enjoyed myself while I was there. I just based it on as simple as that and chose music. And um, did, did you ever have a, a like you, you're, I think those people who know you know that you have a very like sacred music as a style, classical. Did you yeah. always have that leaning or were you thinking I'm going to be a pop musician and then you discovered oh, no, something no, deeper? I didn't really grow up with pop music because um, mm. I played – Piano, and I knew all the classical repertoire. Yeah, but but still, that's very different to the sacred music. Yes, piano is you know mainly just Beethoven, Mozart, all that sort of yeah. thing. So um, I only learned about sacred music properly at university, and even then late. So yeah. I did my performance piano degree, mm. where you cover all all the history of music, but only only um, you know as much as you're interested in it, and then. Um, but we had Dr. Fiona McAlpine, who's one of the world experts on medieval music. Yeah, she was there. I didn't take that paper when I was there because when you're a pianist, you think medieval music's irrelevant because the piano yeah. wasn't invented back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until later on that I realised I've missed out on learning about that, and I wanted to go back because I found out how to compose in the ancient style of um, the Renaissance composers. Uh, we we got taught the counterpoint methods of. Yeah. And all the great composers learnt those when they were five, six, and seven years old. And it's a very, very simple method. I could teach it to, I, at the moment I'm teaching it to 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds. Yeah. So I went back to learn about medieval music when I was a bit older. Mm. Then I could be one of those annoying adult students <laughs> that asks all the questions and, yeah, you know. Anyway. Um, and so did you catch the fire then? You, you caught a bug, did you? Yeah, yeah. The more I did, after piano degree, I did a Master of Music and Analysis. Yeah. And, and like, it's funny, at the end of each thing, you think you know something, but then when you do more, you realize you didn't know anything. And, and even though you know a lot more, you'd feel like, now there's way more that you don't know, you yeah, know? So, yeah. like, when I left school, I thought, I know all about music. Yeah. After I finished my piano degree, I thought, I'm only just touching the surface. I don't really. Wow. Then after the master's, I'm like, wow, there's so much I don't know. But, but, but at the same time, you're getting an overview. Yeah. And um, um, what, what the beauty of going backwards in time. As, as you can sort of, you really understand um, music if you really understand. I think the the roots of it, the medieval yeah. roots of it. Yeah, it's really even earlier if we look at it properly. Um, Christian music's come out of the Jewish music. The the what we hear today in most music is major or minor scale. You know, yeah, yeah. And everybody knows those who plays music. Yeah, but. Um, in the ancient world, they used um, a series of modes. Uh, so the Dorian mode is basically the white notes from D to D on the piano. Um, it's a different set of notes to if you started on E and went to E or F and then went to F. Mm. So you get different intervals mm. and different feel for each mode. And when you and what I learnt from Fiona was, um, well, we sort of studied the ancient chants to, to look at their construction, yeah. how do you write in the Dorian mode? How do you write in mm. the Phrygian mode? What are the main tones you'd linger on? What, you know, mm. what 
and and it, I don't know. It gives you a it gives you a deep appreciation for a different, whole different feel that the sacred music's always had these modes right yeah. through. And and the other one was I went to um, uh, what is it, um, the Oasis of Peace for about six months over in Italy. It's a quite a contemplative religious order. Yeah, and they chanted. Um, 150 sums a week because they were using the old office. 150 a week. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the old office did used to do every sum in one week. Yeah. Wow. wow. And um, but they used those old tones. They were in Italian. They weren't yeah. doing Latin, but they but they were using all those old tones. And and I fell in love with them. So it was, uh, because after a while, they're just so natural. They're very yeah. peaceful. Um, mm. you and I don't say this lightly. I think you have a a, a sort of musical genius about you. And people often say genius has a sort of borderline madness to it as well. Have there I've been got moments? The I don't yeah. know the <laughs> have there been moments for you when you felt that sort of madness of music, or maybe that you're seeing musically the world differently than others around you? They're not quite getting it, and and if only they could see the wonder of what you're seeing, or you know, well, I, mean? I used to I used to feel that a lot as a teenager <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. um, like back in those days, you know. You had a ghetto blaster, yeah, and we'd go down to school camp with about a six-hour journey down to <laughs> down to the mountains, yeah. And um, I would bring the ghetto blaster so that I could control the music because <laughs> I had completely different tastes. Well played. <laughs> so, um, and I'd say to them, "You can play one of your songs and then one of my songs, one yeah. of your songs and then one of my songs." Yeah. So they'd play their three-minute, well, you know, maybe a six-minute Bohemian Rhapsody is about as long as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And then I would play, um, you know, a twenty-minute Mozart symphony. Yeah. Or <laughs> I, I remember down in the mountains, blasting Handel's Messiah. Well, I, I guess I guess the thing, and that's in classical music. In classical music, there's such an emotional journey going on that I, at first, when I was young, I couldn't relate to modern music because I, because it never changed its mood enough. Yeah. In one song. Yeah. It tends to capture a certain mood, like yeah. like, and I, I do like modern music a lot more now. Yeah. But. But so have, when you were younger, you were actually getting that sense of, of the, the yeah, depth and the profoundity you, of what it was. Because when you play, yeah, when you play these big pieces, you have to enter that journey deeply yeah. to play them properly. Yeah. And your teacher guides you through all of that. And mine was brilliant. She used to make up a story, basically, about every single piece. So every inflection in the music, I was imagining a whole saga of a story and, yeah. and bringing out that inflection. And then when you go to, you know, you got a song that's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know what? Yeah. What do they call that other bit? Um, the bridge. Bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The modern pop <laughs> chorus, song. Chorus. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. What do you say about it once you've said that? You know, like yeah. it's. Um, well, well, th you, this is it important. can be catchy, but it's not um, deep. Yeah. So so and so um, yeah. It's uh, but what I came to realize later is we've always had the two musics alongside yeah. each other. A fun music and a sacred music. Yes, and it's usually the sacred music in history that's been the deep music. Yeah, um, and then there's the celebratory yeah. dance music. Is 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 you know let your hair let your, let your hair down, and if you listen to medieval dance music, it's quite wild. It's quite jazzy. Yeah. It's quite amazing, but but it's um very rhythmic. Yeah. Um. Then you go to the Gregorian chant. It's not rhythmic at all. Yeah. So there's no pulse. You know, there's no one, two, three, yeah. four. There's no straight jacket on it. No. It's free flowing. It's it's like waves of, of sound and impulses of sighing, you could mm. say. Probably the closest modern expression, <clears throat> I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I get the sense that maybe jazz is the closest to maybe what uh, the way in which um, 
it's not sacred. Jazz is not sacred. But do you know what I mean? There's a sense in mm. which it's not yeah. it's not constrained in the same way. Quite that interesting it, what you're saying, yeah, yeah, because jazz is the one field that takes up all the old modes. Yeah. Um, and it's and in fact the heart when you learn jazz theory, which I'd never learned, mm. um, but I have had students now from when I was teaching at secondary that went on to do jazz degrees, and they come back all excited to show me what jazz theory is all about. And because I'd taught them classical theory, yeah. I'd taught them, and I'd taught them the modes, which isn't even usually taught at schools, but yeah. they went in knowing at, from a classical point of view, and yeah. then they could map on so many things oh, yeah. wow. onto jazz, yeah. and jazz, jazz will study not just the Dorian mode, but, you know, seven adaptations of the Dorian mode in different ways and they, yeah. they have to really become familiar and and improvise in all of these different yeah. modes. Um, so there is that, yeah. Well, I, I was thinking the other day, though, that, that jazz is very... The closest thing to jazz in history is really the Baroque period of, of Bach and, um, you know, Handel and all of those yeah. guys. When, when you used to... I was talking about Bach the other day, he... You know, when you think how hard these guys worked, yeah, he wrote a cantata, which is about a twenty-minute-long piece of music for orchestra, four big soloists, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, <laughs> choir, yeah, every week for church on a different theme wow. of the gospel. Wow! Um, and and that means he has to write all the music and rehearse it and put it on and start again the next week on a new one. Yeah, and and um. Of course, he used to write every part out, you know, violin part written out, you know, wow. scroll them all out as fast as he can, and then get it all get it all written and and out there to the musicians. They would have had a day or two to quickly sight read it. Yeah, and the musicians in those days just could could do things instantly. Yeah. So so and and so then there's never any time to write the keyboard part down on for the harpsichord. Yeah. So all they did was they wrote they wrote just the one note of the bass yeah. uh, of the that your little finger would play. Yeah. And then a little codes of numbers underneath. So if, if you saw a C, you play a C chord. If you didn't want it to be a C chord, but an A minor chord um, with a C at the bottom, then you'd have to put the number six on it to tell you to, 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 to don't put a fifth, put a sixth, and that'll give you A minor. Yeah. And so there was a few codes that they learned. Yeah. It's called figured bass. And 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 all they got was the one bass line, like the cello line, mm -hmm. a few numbers, and they just improvise away and play beautiful. Wow music on top and you had to be that kind of musician in those days yeah even go back a period to the renaissance you know henry the eighth and elizabeth the first yeah um madrigals um which are complicated really fun part music that you'd sing at a posh dinner party after dinner you know um someone would turn up with a madrigal written oh oh you know <laughs> john's written us a madrigal uh, john farmer fair phyllis and 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 you, and the and the aristocracy would just sight read it on the spot wow. no rehearsal wow and it was considered you it be like oh don't you know how to read like if you can't read music yeah. uh, like that's how much they were into it back then that's fascinating yeah. eh? it's amazing the skill they had and we've lost a lot of it um now, you know, um, well, it, it, in well, one way. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because I have a theory about what's going on here and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But I I was thinking too, when you mentioned storytelling in medieval, funnily enough, I thought to myself, I was in preparing for today, mm. um, and I didn't know you were going to say that, but because I, I was thinking, you know who I think of as probably quite close to that medieval concept of music? And, I, and there's a certain timelessness to him, mm. even though he's not, and that's Johnny Cash. 
He mm-hmm. tells stories yeah. and he celebrates events. And his songs, so many of them are mm. just ballads. Ballads, yeah. And then when he's not talking it's about like ballads. Don McLean a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, those old guys that just, they basically are telling a story. Yeah, yeah. It's ballad. like a tubador who might have wandered the tubador, land. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and also, um, when he's not doing that, mm. the other big theme in his music is God. Yeah. It's God and event. God yeah. and event. It's yeah. very interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Secular and sacred music has a completely different sound. Through the whole Middle Ages, so when I say Middle Ages, we're really talking 400 until 1450, so it's yeah. a big period, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a thousand years, yeah. Uh, and it does develop quite a lot, but and it's fairly experimental even. It's, like, it's amazing what the developments they did in that time. Yeah. Like I, I used to give the kids at school a bit of a music oral test after they studied all of the history, and um, they'd get one-minute excerpts for 20 pieces of music from the whole of Western history, yeah, and then... The first thing they have to do is go, is it sacred or is it secular? Oh, yeah. Which you don't always judge by the words because you can't always hear the words or whatever. But yeah. um, it's basically f- for them to know it was Gregorian chant as opposed to med- medieval folk music. Yeah. Um, you're going to feel a pulse in medieval yeah. fo- If you think Scarborough Fair, yeah. we are going to Scarborough Fair, parsley was many and There's a definite pulse. Um, it either sounds like dance if it's fast yeah. or trance if it's slow. Yeah. Um, church yeah. music never sounds like either of those actually. Um, yeah. It's it's much more free flowing. And when we when I used to start with Gregorian chant, and I was at a state school, you know, Massey High School, yeah. um, and and usually we schools start a bit later. They start yeah. music and maybe at Baroque period, which is sixteen hundred. Yeah. Or they might start um, if they're a really good school, they might go back another hundred years. We'd we'd start with Gregorian chant and 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 the Westies from West Auckland aren't, aren't that familiar. <laughs> no. So unless they go to Teatertu, it's not the first thing you think of <laughs> yeah, when you yeah. think of West Auckland. Gregorian chant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so <clears throat> the first thing I used to say, what do you notice? You know, and 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 what you notice from a modern point of view is there isn't this and there isn't that and there isn't that and there yeah. isn't that. So there's no harmony, just yeah. one line. Yeah. Um. There's no pulse or fixed rhythm, if you like. It's yeah. it's free flowing. Um, it's, yeah, it, and it's sort of, um, it, it takes off, I almost want to play, is there somewhere I can play, um, one, one, hallelujah. Can you hear that? So there's a there's a and that's real, just one word. That, and that's, that's 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 the completion of one word. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And, and the idea there is, <clears throat> um, the soul's gone. The soul's almost left the body. It's it's yeah. it's like all your desire to go up there and be with God. Yeah. It's like the soul's just floated up like incense up the whole, the whole cathedral, you know, or whatever the basilica with its high roof. Well, because one of the things too that's actually interesting is that, is that with sacred music. 
the the music is at service of the of the worship and the what is being prayed, right? Yes. Whereas whereas the with what you find with secular and the music, spirit of prayer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so so if you you know you invoke the the Trinity, you you go up, right? You say Jesus, you go up for the elevation, or God the Father, is it? You go up. Not necessarily word painting like that. Um, that does happen uh, later on. Yeah. But um, funnily enough, in the Middle Ages, they didn't do that. There's a, there's about two examples of it. Um, well, not many anyway. Um, there is a Gregorian chant for the, the Ascension yeah. that goes up just because he's going up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mostly, what I what I what I found quite striking when I did learn about medieval music was, um, they don't really paint the mood of the words. Um, they paint the spirit of prayer. Yeah, okay. So so if you think of the spirit of prayer as that the mind and the heart want to lift up to God. Yeah. The soul is yearning and thirsting. Yeah. Um and and it's quite interesting with Gregorian chant because when if people first hear it they can think it's a little bit sad that sounds a bit funerally or yeah. something like that because it's solemn. Yeah. And and funerals and weddings should always sound similar because they're two solemn occasions, yeah, you right. know. Yeah. Um by the way, just a quick word to anyone thinking of getting married. Don't you dare use CDs and ruin your whole wedding with your favourite <laughs> song. Talk to us and we'll make it a lot better than it would be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's anyway, true. Make but, it beautiful. <laughs> make it sacred. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, what were we saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 half the audience has just checked out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the way in which it's it's the sort of the, the nature of prayer is what the, that's the right. music is invoking. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so, so it's quite interesting that you could get a Christmas chant you could get a Good Friday chant. You could get an Easter Sunday chant, and they're not going to sound that different mm. in the mood because the mood isn't. Oh, we're happy today because it's Christmas. We're sad yeah. today because it's Good Friday. Yeah. It's not like that comes later. Yeah, that came when opera was basically invented um, in in sixteen hundred. Well, let's talk and, about that because yeah. this this is where the the where music owes this huge debt to Christianity, right? And oh, huge. to the church and yeah. like like opera is <coughs> something that comes out of the singing of the gospel on big high Christian feasts, right? Correct, and and and, and the liturgical dramas. Yeah, yeah. So the Middle Ages really flourished, um, you know, around the twelve and thirteen hundreds, mm. and. Everything overflows from the liturgy. Mm. So, um, well, uh, a good example would be um, the uh, the chants of Montserrat, which Montserrat was one of the shrines you walked to on a huge pilgrimage, you know, mm. in Spain. What what you got was the the pilgrims would normally go on pilgrimage, and, and as they went, they'd have certain songs they sang while they marched and walked. Yeah. Even on the Crusades, there's Crusader songs, yeah. and they're really cool. And they've got a kind of they've got a kind of rhythm to them because they're walking and yeah. marching, and and they've got this oomph to them. And then you got the style that you'd sing in the church, which mm. is much more. It's you could say it's it's more reverent than that. So so. Um, even though a lot of the music that they used for fun, we can use almost in church because it's still a lot more reverent than most of the music we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but but and what they used to do is they'd get to church, they'd do their, their chants, and then they'd go to the pub at night and yeah. they'd sing their slightly naughty songs yeah. of their folk music. Yeah. Or songs all about death, but but in a funny way. Yeah, you know? or, or the plague has got your the, wife yeah, and yeah. your third son. And your, yeah, you know. like even their lullabies are like, <laughs> oh, please stop crying, dearest darling boy, or I'll give you back to God, or I'll give you to, I'll give you to a witch, but she'll give you back in a day. You know, that's the kind of words. In the, but, Happy um, times. <clears throat> but um, 
there was no pub in Montserrat, so 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 they had to sleep in the church at night. So that, but they wanted to have fun at night. Yeah. So that, but they couldn't sing their their bawdy songs <laughs> in the church. Yeah. So they created a whole lot of sacred music for fun that wasn't for the mass. That they would sing, and it's much more jazzy. Yeah. And and it's um, uh, may may I play one? Yeah, of course you can. Go for it. So this is called Maria Martrum, and it's from the manuscripts of Montserrat. And if you if you think about it compared to Gregorian chant, it's a little bit more nifty. So you can you can actually hear the constraints of of a of a, of a rhythm and a, and, yeah. a, and a melody and, and singing a bit faster. Yeah. It's like a Maria You know, it's a little. It sounds almost. And that grows out of they can't go to the pub. They yeah. want to sing songs yeah. that are a bit more so that'll be, celebratory, that'll be a bit bouncy, a bit a yeah. bit like their pub music. And 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 what they did do in the later Middle Ages, and um, that, that links to what we're talking about, where opera came from. Yeah, um, you'd have a, if you have Christmas, you're not just going to have the Christmas mass. Mm. You're going to have a plays afterwards, and the different guilds would put on uh, different aspects of, of of the day. You know, and someone might do a play about Herod killing the babies, and that's where we get Luli Lula. Yeah. The little tiny child, the yeah. beautiful carol from that, yeah. from the medieval dramas. Um, the music for these things is is quite startling, and and um, and so, and so what what that that is what the beginning of opera as we know. It, well, it's um, or musical fe- musical festival theater? festival music. It's like folk music, but it's religious folk music. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of music isn't the style of Gregorian chant, which is actually the style of the liturgical music. Yeah. But um, you can use these things like on a Christmas uh, carol yeah, night yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, it's quite beautiful music. But, but yeah, so the very original, you could say, origin of opera, apart from being a fantasy, because um, opera came from two things. One was reading about the ancient Greek plays, which were yeah. sung, and, and, and we don't have the music and we don't know what it sounded like. But all we know is they wrote down about them that peop- the audience were wailing and crying and... Yeah, it's almost screaming at times because it was also emotionally moving. <laughs> yeah, and 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 then when the people of the Renaissance read that, you know, in about fourteen hundred and fifty. Yeah, well, actually, sixteen hundred was when opera came along. But that, but um, they were like, well, how come everything was so moving back then, but nothing's that moving now? Yeah, uh, they must have had. And then they invented opera, thinking what they must have had yeah. to make the drama that. Emotional, <laughs> but but it wouldn't have been anything like that actually. But 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 that's the that's the that's the imaginary um, origin. As promised, it's time to take a little break to hear a snippet of one of the hymns that Robert Loretz has written. This one is one of my favourites. It's called "Let Us Come to You, O Lord." It is a beautiful combination of Christian scripture and sacred music. 
and I hope you agree with me, this is something really, really special. So please enjoy this one. So that was Let Us Come to You, O Lord, one of the hymns written by Robert Loretz. Let's get back to our conversation now. And Robert was explaining to us the origins of opera. So one part was fantasy, and he's now about to tell us the second point of origin for the musical form we know as opera. But the other origin is is um, the Easter Gospel is mm. of Sunday morning, where it says, tell us, Mary, what did you see along the way? You know, and mm. Mary answers, um, and there's, there's a dialogue. And to jazz up the gospel on that day, they actually used to use different people, like like they do with the passion reading nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So you got your narrator and your different. Yeah. So they would they would actually have different singers for that chant. Yeah. Just to just to make it special. Yeah. Um, and then um, that that overflowed into the the festivals around Easter where you tell other stories, but it would all be sung. Um, <clears throat> but the other origin of opera is the madrigal because in, in, in the madrigal, which is... Tell me, tell me, what is a madrigal? You've, you've already talked about this earlier oh, yeah. on. These are these are performance pieces that someone, yeah. uh, just a lay person so writes and brings to a party, are they? Yeah, so, so basically it's the... Um, if you if you think of the of the medieval period as having 
kind of folk song on the one hand and church music on the other. Um, in the Renaissance, when it all gets more sophisticated and they develop part writing, mm. that we move from Gregorian chant to the motet, mm. which is overlapping for uh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, say, yeah. um, and polyphony. Uh, so so got motet's got parts, polyphony Overlapping is, lines of yep, music. Different voices. Yeah, and yet they wanted to respect um, the heritage of chant because mm. they're not people that are going to go, we've just sung Gregorian chant for 1,500 years Chuck it out. We've got a better idea now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, the only people that would ever be that crass would be people from the 60s. <laughs> but um, so well, we'll get to, we'll get to that in just a second. We'll get to that yeah. in a second. So, <laughs> but, but, so, so there's, so a, there, there's a connection they, to yeah. tradition, though. Tradition's yeah, yeah. important for them. So what they yeah. did was they, they – they, every day of the year had a different chance, a different mm. set of chants. You know, mm. Christmas Day's got its chance. Boxing Day's got its chance. So um, – and if you were in the monasteries, for a thousand years you didn't even um, – have it written down. Yeah. So everything was just um, oral tradition. Yeah. You sang this song on Christmas. You sang these quite a few chants on Christmas Day because you had morning prayer, evening prayer. They all had different antiphons, yeah. and the mass had different things. And then you'd only sing that again next Christmas. Wow! And 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 yet, so every day of the year, you can imagine there's a whole repertoire of music yeah. that they're remembering in the monasteries. Wow! And they're just and they're just correcting the new guy who comes in and starts singing it wrong. Well, that this is where we get staves and, and music written down, right? Isn't it? Because yeah, there's, there's am I right here? There's there's a group of monks who say, well, we have to. To be able to teach this, so some basic dots are put on paper. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the monk called Guido of yeah. Arezzo, um, he came up with the genius idea of putting a couple of dots going up if the music went up, and a couple of dots going down <laughs> if the music went down. And then he came up with an amazing idea of putting a line across so you could tell how far it went. Yeah, and then when it, when they clapped him for that and told him he was a genius, he, he did another line, and then he did another <laughs> line, and then he did four lines. This man's an inventor. Yeah. <laughs> when will he stop? <laughs> so it was a stave, and you could tell then exactly. Yeah. Once you could write music down, and that and that happened around eleven hundred. They quickly tried to write down all the music they had, yeah, and and it spread right across Europe, of course. Um, and you have to think that um, Gregorian chants been a little bit codified by Pope Gregory around uh, six hundred, was it? Explain um, for our lay listeners. We've got people here who don't probably wouldn't touch an instrument, or wouldn't know music, or right. who maybe who are out. You know, uh, some not even Christian or Protestant. What does codified mean in this context? Oh, like like they 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 kind of make it standard for the whole church to sing yep. the same song on that day, like like the Christmas Day chants, the yep. um the feast of whatever. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is this is the music you use. This yeah, is the chant yeah. you sing. Yeah. So 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 it's like how Latin was the language used in the whole Western Church. Yeah. But and then the, then the Eastern churches had their other ancient languages. Yeah. Um. So and so the texts of the mass were all the same everywhere. Yeah. So was the music um, that went with that day. Yeah. I think the monks were keeping your liturgy going mainly, and yeah. you, you none. When I say monks, I'm including nuns. Yeah. Um. So they're they're keeping the liturgies going, and the and the village life is around the monasteries often. Yeah. Uh, later on, it's around the cathedrals, and that um, you know, yeah. you have the age of the cathedrals comes later. The age of the monasteries and castles is there first, and then there's palaces and cathedrals, um, and universities and things. But um, what was stunning was, um, when they gather all the, all everyone's writing down their music, but they, it turns out that Tantamergo yeah, will be exactly the same whether it was sung in Germany, France, all across Europe. 
yeah. um, whichever part of Spain, wherever, they're singing Tantamurgo the same. And that's not by design. Just It's just that oral but tradition has been so on faithful. By, by yeah. oral tradition, yeah. And, and, and the, the, the Alleluia we, we played earlier yeah. is very old. It's it, uh, The Alleluias are the first one of the first things written in the early church. Yeah. And they're really elaborate. Uh, they got really long tails yeah. on the on the Alleluia, and there's, they're actually like little cells that they put together and make yeah. into large structures. And are they consistent as well? They're consistent. Wow. Yeah. So so and 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 then then it turns so out. So that that's the power of oral traditions. Some, oral you know, tradition. The, the modern skepticism for oral tradition. I know. Wow. Yeah. It yeah. only works though if you consider the thing you're passing on to be holy. Yes. Because yeah. it, because the, it's like the Bible. Um, if the Bible's the word of God and the monks are copying it out, you know, I was telling somebody. So a child the other day about oh, well you know they had to copy it out and copy it out well, yeah. also the paper doesn't last but um you need to you know you have to write it out again and, and somebody said oh they must have changed it a lot then as they wrote it out and I said no <laughs> they didn't change a word because that they respected it so yeah. much this is the word of God I'm not changing it I'd yeah. be uh, terribly wrong of me to change it well Gregorian chants <clears throat> not the word of God but it was considered that the Holy Spirit had given the music somehow yeah. because uh, even whenever you see an icon of a picture of Pope Gregory, who's famous for getting the same chance codified around the around Europe, um, as in standardising it all. You you see a picture of Pope Gregory, and then behind him is the scribe. Oh, he's got the Holy Spirit in his ear. Yeah, uh, the dove, and then next to him is Guido Varezzo, who's who's. <laughs> 800 years later, writing yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's coming from the Holy Spirit through yeah. the oral tradition, yeah. um, and now it's been written down. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing which I found really interesting was um, the earliest Christian chants and the earliest Jewish chants are yeah. nearly identical in contour. Well, isn't there an Our Father, if I understand it correctly? The that is, yeah. yeah the, the chant is almost certainly... The Paternoster comes... Jewish, um, if you think how that goes, Pater Noster in Celis, it comes from the ancient pilgrim mode, which which is, um, da 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 dum dum da uh, so you'd sing a psalm to that to that tone, like "Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness." In your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Well, that melody is one of our oldest, yeah. um, but it's also probably the music used. Uh, it, it comes from the Jewish setting of, of particular psalms, <coughs> which is the Halal psalms, I think. They're hallelujah style psalms, yeah. which are the ones used in the last in the Passover meal. So, so um, it's quite probable the the actual uh, original Jewish one is nearly note for note. Um, it's quite probable that Jesus and the apostles sang that tune on their way down to the Kidron Valley wow. because they sing those psalms, and the the most ancient wow. Jewish thing corresponds to the most ancient Roman in lots of modes, especially yeah. that that one. So um, that's fascinating, eh? That, it that, is. And, and that's a that's there's something mystical about that that is just look, look yeah. as you were speaking and talking about like um, monks who are who are you know writing out scripture. I I think straight away I thought of the difference between that modern mindset where we sort of we insert ourselves into it, our own ego 
and mm. um, I'll reinterpret this. Thank you very much. Mm. As opposed to no, I am at service of something good and true. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, because tradition is literally it's handing on, isn't it? Yeah. And and um, even at the cross, um, Saint John says, bowing his head, he handed on his spirit. He traditioned yeah. his Holy Spirit. Is how he says Jesus died. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he wow. handed on the yeah. spirit, and he didn't just hand it on like as he breathed his last. Yeah, he handed it on to the Father as worship, and he yeah. handed it on to us as mercy. Yeah, as to make the church, and so so um, the the idea that the church is always handing on the fullness of what it received from Jesus, it yeah. mustn't water that down or change it for any generation. Yeah, it can deepen our understanding, but it can't leave out some, you know. Yeah. And so they had this respect for for the heritage, yeah. even into the music. And therefore, when polyphony came along... For those who don't know, polyphony is multiple voices. Yeah, right? multiple voices. Yep. Um, so, for example, if you always sing the chant, Tantum ego sacramentum, on Corpus Christi Feast. Yep. The Feast of Body and Blood of Christ, Body for those who are Christ. not Catholics, yep. <laughs> by the way. And uh, Thomas Aquinas actually wrote that... Uh, that music for that feast. So when they go to write part music, and it's a irresistible thing to do once you can do it, mm. um, they would take one one of the singers, and it's the tenor, yeah, would sing the chant slowly about four beats for each note. So it'd be and while he's doing that, the other three parts weave around much faster. So you haven't got rid of the Tantamurgo. It's still there. Yeah. Um, but it's become the musical structure of the piece that is quite complex when you listen to the surface of it. Yeah. So you you don't necessarily even notice that Tantamurgo is the bass line. Yeah. And it's a long, slow bass line. It's not actually a bass line. It's a tenor line. Tenor means to hold, tenore. Yeah. And, and the reason it got its name was because that guy held the chant. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then bass is, just means bottom. So yeah. there was a guy on the bottom. Yeah. There was a woman on the top. So that's sopra, soprano. Yeah. This is a, based on Italian or Latin, I suppose. Yeah. And then the contra alto is the against the high. Alto means high. So contra alto is the contralto. Yeah. Then it got shortened to alto, which means high, which kind of wrecks <laughs> Confused it. Confused everyone. But, yeah. but, you know, the, the, those three parts were weaved around a tenor who held the ancient chant. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that went on for at least about 100 years of the uh, Renaissance period. And then bit by bit they just um, they let that strictness go. Yeah. So it's imbued with the spirit of chant, but it's like chant all overlapping and becoming yeah. a glorious. Well, well, you, well um, bird, birds mess uh, yeah. sitting for three parts. You know, I, I the kyrie. You know, it's just so beautiful, and it is. It's yeah. a perfect example of that, right? It's it's faithful to that tradition. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example of the beginning of a motet. This is um, the ascension, and you can hear probably. So you hear a climbing in there. Yeah. yeah. So they did they did occasionally paint, it's called word painting when the music reflects in its shape what the words are saying. See, this is something I wanted to talk to you about before, is the sense in which we often don't think about it like this, but music actually encompasses that powerful sense of allegory 
right? And and yeah. and even like sacred music, what it's trying to tell you, the story it's trying to tell you is that you're entering into sort of a heavenly realm. It's divine. Yes, exactly. It shouldn't sound Worldly. like the rest of the world does. Yeah, exactly. And and the rest of the world, like <clears throat> this is for mm. me, this is the something. There is something almost magical about music as a form of beauty, like nothing yep. else. Yep. It literally has the power to change the emotions yep. or the mind it, of a person. It How is a, powerful it, it's is a that? very strange art. Um, like all the arts will touch the emotions in a way mm. if you think, you know, yeah. some people are quite moved by poetry, you're moved by a good drama, dance as well. But music has a particular, like most people I think, most artists even agree that music's the most spiritual of the arts because yeah. it because it has the power, even without words, yeah. to change our emotional state. So it's like it communicates at a level of emotion. It's not just emotion either, because it's really the spiritual yearning, which isn't yeah. all emotional. Yeah. But but um, um, and it's mysterious like that because if 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 you think. Like you, you can use words. It's a bit like describing wine. You know, you so say it's a cheeky little wine. And you know, well, what do you mean by cheeky? How can a wine be cheeky? Yeah. Um, but but with music, you could say, um, you know, you, people will definitely think, well, there's a there's a beautiful moment of hope that comes into the music at yeah. the end, or there's a or there's a moment of despair, or there's a moment of this or that. Yeah. And you can describe the emotions and and get quite good at that. But um, in some ways, that's mysterious because because. For us to have hope, we need a structure of thought usually, yeah. which says there's something in the future where we will have success because we've got the means to get there and we have hope to get there. Yeah. Or if we have sadness, it might be because um, in the end we can't overcome the obstacle. Yeah. You know, and and our different emotions are framed by different thoughts. But in music, it goes straight to the emotion without without necessarily the words. And um, I think it's to do with uh, a mixture of things, but one of them is human gesture. If you think about speech, I suppose, um, there's a whole expression that goes with it, and and then music sort of picks up on this and, and delivers it in a more refined way than speech, but then you take off the words and you've still yeah. got this thing. Yeah. Um, um, so well, even there's a psychological think, journey. Well, well there's something even I think the other day about like even beautiful poetry in a sense still relies on, you know, characteristics of music like huh. rhythm yeah exactly you know what i mean it's, it's yeah 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 it, there's something very profound in there yeah and rhythm is is the key element in music uh, yeah really um same with uh any well uh good filmmaking i think is the same there's a certain yeah. rhythm that you yeah. see in the shot composition yeah, and the way yeah, a story yeah, unfolds very visually very true yeah it's yeah the timing yeah. anything that happens through time eh? um like all of the great arts that that go on through time so they're over um, when they're over, it's like a lot, like as opposed to a, a painting on the wall, which is yeah. always there. Yeah. But then you get music where you have to actually pay attention for this period of time and follow yeah. a journey. Yeah. And, and 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 it's sort of like every art expresses something. If you want to take a mystical view, it actually expresses something about God, because all the arts point to beauty, yeah. and the ultimate beauty is God. But the arts themselves aren't ever going to be able to give you that. But they're like a John the Baptist that points to a Messiah that's not them, you know. Yeah. And, and and so you could say, when you look at say painting, um, it's like vision. Our our, our sense of vision gives us the most, um, like, if you think of our senses, you can see a star. Yeah. Um, so that's the and you can get the whole picture of a horizon in your vision. Yeah. And you can and in the painting you get a whole world, a universe in one hit. Yeah. Um 
and that's and that's like the like I'm almost expressing um, our desire for the beatific vision, yeah. you could say, for the vision of God. Um, then there's um, but in the sound journey, like music, you've got you've always got a home place. You've always got something that unfolded, usually with some tension, and you got away from home, and then yeah. you came back home. There's a resolution. Yeah, there's always a resolution, mm. and it always makes it back to where it's yeah. like its origin is its destiny. Or, or usually, you start and end in the same key. You change key in the middle. Well, I, I, um, I tell you, I tell you what. Even even like there's, it's amazing how some people have used music in this very striking way. I mm. can't remember the composer's name, but he wrote that piece for Hiroshima. Oh yeah, and it's just Penderitsky. those voices, and yeah, that's it, eh? and, yeah. and just an agony, and and, yes. and the music. It, yeah, it's almost like you're listening to souls being yeah. destroyed, but with an atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now music's so powerful like that. What's the implication of that then? Because if if there's like you listen to a beautiful sacred piece of music that is designed to reverence God and it's it's pulling your yeah. soul upwards, does that then mean that there is a potential for music to pull it downwards? Well, that's right. I think so. I, 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 just to finish one thing we were leading to, which was what's a madrigal. Um, it will be relevant to this because <laughs> yeah. we, we heard a quick snippet of a motet there, which is which is um, quite high music uh, from the point of view of composition, but at the same time, it's like it's like the mysteriousness of a of a Gregorian chant. But this time in layers, mm. it's like three D as opposed to two D. Yeah. And even when you look at the art of medieval, it's often two dimensional. hasn't got the depth factor. Yeah. But it's but it's very very symbolic. Everything symbolizes something, and it's very deep. The art of the Middle Ages. Yeah. And then in the Renaissance, they they took great pride in making it realistic with 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 perspective yeah, and depth. depth. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a funny sort of way, music echoed it because it, it suddenly went into harmony, became the third dimension. So there was always yeah. melody and rhythm, two dimensions. Yeah, and then and then you add harmony, and you get this rich thing that's that's sort of three D. Is there a is there a sense, to it's fair to say, of a, of a deepening of the dynamics too? I mean, there's always dynamics in even in chant, but it feels like it, it becomes more pronounced because you have the ability to pull entire sections or instruments yeah. out and put yeah, them back well, in. Yeah, again. well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So you can pull away, just go down to two voices yeah. for a special moment or something like that. Um, if I just show you quickly what a this is a madrigal by John Farmer. It's only one minute long. The words are, Fair Phyllis I saw sitting all alone, uh, feeding her flock near to the mountainside. Um, the shepherds knew not whether she was gone, but after her, lover amentus hide, meaning hurried. So so basically, her a lover is looking for Phyllis. He's asked the shepherds, where is she? They go, we don't know. And then, um, and then it says, up and down, 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 17 times. Um, up and down, he wandered while she was missing. When he found her, oh, then they fell a-kissing. Up and down, up and down, up and down, 17 more times. But it's not any anything rude. It's just repeating the music. Yeah, and but so that, this is what something he would have... He, when would he have composed this for? So this like was, a party this was or for something. after dinner music of posh, <laughs> posh parties. Yeah, wow. After her love, after her love, I mean to slide up and down, 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 up and down,
kissing and kissing all them. Kissing up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Naughty. <laughs> but risque. Yeah. <laughs> but it's innocent because they're just repeating. Yeah. What did you think it was? <laughs> That's why it's fun. Well, well, and so this is a communal event. You, you, you gather together around the harpsichord? No, just this is just sung without anything. Really? This is just sung after you've had a bit to drink. So Uncle John gets up and says, I yeah. have a new piece. Yes, and he actually wrote the music down on a large piece of paper yeah. facing four different directions. So he put it on the table wow. and you sat at that seat and read the bass. No and that way. Seat. Yeah, there, wow. were, there are surviving um, manuscripts like that. Now, now, if you listen to that, that's such a different style to the motet. Oh, yeah. And yet every single compositional technique in there yeah. came from writing motets. Yeah. It's, what's different is the rhythm's snappy, yeah. um, the words are funny, and and the um, that paints every single line. You might not have noticed it, but when when they said "Fair Phyllis," I saw sitting all alone. Only one person saying that because she's yeah. alone, and it was a soprano. Yeah. Then it said, um, "Feeding her flock near to the mountainside." That was in a block harmony because sheep and flocks move in blocks. Yeah, that makes sense. And then it, then when the shepherds are being interviewed, do you know where she is? It was polyphony. The shepherds knew. The shepherds knew. The, the, yeah. The, yeah. Because they're having a conversation. Yeah. And then when it was up and down, up and down. Um, the word up was higher than the word down in, in 17 out of the 19 times it's mentioned or something like that, wow. 16 out of the, whatever it is. Um, every single part, when it said, oh, then they fell a-kissing, he just placed the rhythm and put an extra beat in so that you went, yeah. oh. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and um, he turned kissing into a 3-4 like a waltz. Yeah. And the, you know, so every single thing, he's being very attentive to the mood of, of the funny poetry. It's a musical to painting. To make them right? laugh. Yeah, it's a it, musical painting. And so that's the depth you're talking about that comes into, and, 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 into music. Yeah, and that's and that style is, is for the fun music, but it wasn't in the church music. They didn't do that so much. Is there, can I, yeah. is there, I'm thinking this through, is there a sense of finitude in that? That that uh, whereas in the chart there's not because there's the eternal. Do you know what I mean? Like things resolve quickly, they finish. There's this. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe you're more in control of secular music because you're telling your story. Yes, and and you can make it end however you want and all of that. Yeah. Whereas in the church's thing, you're 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 telling the Holy Spirit's story. You're telling God's story. Yeah, and and you're not. You don't have the liberty to um, change the ending. Um. <laughs> so well, that, well, let's get to that point that we started on, and that yeah. we've been all around the place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. This is like a, a, a an out of control rambling motet. central. <laughs> um, yeah. The the uh, I asked you about the soul, and if it can be elevated upwards, does that mean it can be pulled downwards? Is this a reflection then of perhaps where the passions start to probably mm. after Enlightenment liberalism, the passions and Rousseau's whole take on on. Um, you know that very interior psychological subjective approach yep. to life. Well, does that start to influence, and, and music then becomes more at the service of the passions? Well, then? it's funny. Yeah, um, mm. it's a good question um, because I think, yeah, that is. I think the passions. I mean, we love the passions yeah, because of they're part of our life. But when it comes to prayer, you're not primarily focusing on your passions. No, you're you're, you're primarily trying to lift things higher than that or offer yeah. them. And yet, funny thing in, in Christian prayer, it's not like Buddhist prayer where you try to empty your mind, have a blank, um, get to nirvana. No. In, in, in Christian prayer, 
if you go into the church or whatever with a lot of worries and you've got your family and this isn't going well and blah blah, um, you you end up lifting all of that up to God in the yeah. raising of the heart and mind to God. So it's it all, incarnational, right? It's incarnational. You go with it. It all goes up. Yeah. yeah. And the Lord came down to bring us up. Yeah. So, yeah. So so he went to the lowest of the low on the cross to lift us with him in that ascension, you know. So 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 the the idea there is that the spirit is wanting to go to God, and that, that's what I think comes through in the in the chant and in the Renaissance polyphony. Now, what happens next, because the madrigal was such genius, that was a yeah. one-minute piece full of creativity. Were they typically that short? Yeah, yep. two or three minutes. So short things. Even my tets aren't that long. So this is, is this the beginning then of what we might, like a modern pop song becomes a three-minute, you know, radio play? Is it, is it <coughs> not, starting not, to move not, in that not direction? Not necessarily because all, all, there isn't a lot of long music. Yet, okay. Anywhere, and and in fact, the reason we got long music, yeah, was precisely because we learned how to take a chant, spin it out as a as a, as a um, <laughs> slow thing, ten minute and weave music around it, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 then composers learned to think like that, that they had a long range, simple melody. That no one can see, but it's actually there underneath yeah, the, the music, whole time. even of a Beethoven symphony that might last 20 minutes or yeah. half an hour. Um, when people analyze Beethoven, part of the job is, um, well, if you think of anything like like little bark thing, dum ba da dee da dum bum bum dee ba 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 bum 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 dee da da dee da dee da 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 dee da dum dum nice tune. But what's he really doing? He's just going bum. Bum, yeah, yeah. bum, 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 bum. The rest is just froth. Yeah. So, so, but so the structure is something simple, usually linear. Yeah. And 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 what um you find, um when you analyze any classical piece of music all the way through to the end of writing in harmony, which was about the end of the nineteenth century, um. If you if you pull out the from the surface notes the main contours, yeah, and then you looked at that like a piece, and then pulled out from them their main contours, you get yourself down mm. in the end to a little simple chant, yeah, and 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 it's like and it's like the composer somehow knew there was a long range linear tune underneath this big complicated thing that you're hearing yeah. when you hear the symphony yeah and 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 th that's quite stunning to know that yeah. um because it actually is the history of music backwards when you <laughs> analyze so you start with simple tunes yeah and then they grow into these structures through the the polyphony of the renaissance and then when you analyze music you're going oh what's the simple tune that's hiding underneath that yeah um complex structure that's holding it together like a, it's like a skeleton yeah it's a little bit like in nature when you look at a leaf on a tree and it, and you look oh look at the little lines it's like a little tree yeah and it's echoing the whole tree yes and 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 some composers even do that on the on the surface of their music they might go do the little lump and then over the whole course of that piece um, it's it's all they're like leaves they're hanging the main on tree notes that make yeah. up the, the key changes in that right it's time for another little musical interlude and this time. I'm going to play you a Christmas carol that Robert wrote. It is called Sleep Now, Gentle Jesus. It's a very, very beautiful piece of music, and whenever I hear it, I often find myself in tears, actually. And it is set to the music of Franz Schubert. And what I find so beautiful about this hymn is the way in which Robert has written it as a sort of foreshadowing of Easter. So everything is about Jesus lying in the manger, 
but all of it is pointing towards his eventual death on the cross. And there is this beautiful pathos in, in the moment of, of Christ, the vulnerable child, looking to the moment of profound vulnerability that will befall him upon the cross and that profound act of self-giving love that we remember every Good Friday. So this is Sleep Now, Gentle Jesus by Robert Loretz. Where does it then start to, well, oh, yeah. I guess get, is corrupted the right word, but it starts to come undone a bit because we look at music today well, and it's I would just. Say, I would say, I, would, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say corrupted. Emphasis um, changes, the change of emphasis. Way, yeah, um, I think we lost the distinction between sacred and secular music yes. really early um, okay. around the Baroque period. Why? Um, because opera was so exciting. Opera mm. came from the madrigal because it, cause it it continued the idea of painting all the words. Yeah. If you went to someone's house with your with your madrigal yeah. and you needed four singers, but in that particular house, only two of them can sing, but one can play the flute and one can play the violin. Yeah. So they would play that part oh, on their yeah. instruments. And then after a while they realized, hey, it sounds really nice when you just have the soprano yeah. and the others on instruments. And that led to uh, the song. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and once you got the song like an aria in an opera mm. where where every time it's time for an emotion the, one of the performers will sing out their heart. Yeah. And you'll have the orchestra underneath. Yeah. That that came directly out of um the madrigal's um fluidity at changing instruments for voices. The madrigal itself came from the motet even though it's got a completely different style. It's it's got exactly the same idea of what intervals are harmonic and what are the rules for writing. It just jazzes them up with rhythm. How does this take off though? Is it is it like mimetic? Is it just everyone is culturally doing these things and so it just becomes normative? Um, I think things. I think a new thing does get exciting. A little bit like rap or rock and roll. Yeah, sure. You know, it has a burst, hip hop, whatever. Yeah, and and it goes boom. Well, the madrigal went boom <laughs> yeah. for about fifty years. This is all uh, only fifty years of writing madrigals, yeah. and then they were over. They're, they're amazing gems. And every country in Europe had their own style, you know. Yeah. There was German ones, French ones, they were, and Italian ones. So they're all trying to be funny, but when an Italian tries to be funny, he just becomes lamenting and overly emotional <laughs> about how he wants to kill himself because she doesn't love him back. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah. much more heart-wrenching music yeah. than when the English The Russian ones were the worst. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine, imagine a Russian mandrigal. <laughs> So yeah, Boris and Natasha could yeah, not like, afford like to go uphill. Two octaves below middle C would be the highest note. <laughs> what? Um, so, did were they famous ones? Were they, were they like? Did this Magibals. go global? Like everyone goes, uh, oh, yeah, have well, you heard John Smithy's? Mo- exactly, really exactly, it did because uh, you know it's the same thing that um, when the Protestant Reformation came along it was the, the moment the printing press was invented. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they they soon worked out how to print musical notes. Okay. And and then music suddenly was distributed widely, was before you had to listen to someone sing it. Yeah. So so suddenly the madrigal was the first thing actually, the first fad. Yeah. That spread through Europe really fast. Wow. And every country wanted to put its own stamp on it in its own way. And they had the technique to actually they could take a piece of music on a piece of paper and they could interpret it straight away. Yeah. 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 Because they'd worked out notation for several centuries. Because how different is that today? When you think about today, most people turn on a radio, listen to a song, and they go, I wish I could <coughs> sing like that, or I wish yeah. I could play like that. Well, once upon a time, it was the other way around, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. I mean, obviously, music starts by being an oral tradition. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a code on the paper. Yeah. But if you but if you know the code and and you and if you're in the world of music, the more you're in the world of music and making music, the more that code becomes second nature, like like any language. Yeah. And then you can just quickly produce it. Um, but you can, and the best singers can sight sing today, but but a lot of singers can't. Whereas in those days, that was just um, considered in the posher circles to be what what everyone should be able to do. You know, like every woman should be able to play the piano in the nineteenth century. Yeah, if, if, if they're from a decent upbringing. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was. It was what kind of lowbrow commoner it was is the she? girls' instrument of the nineteenth century? Was Interesting. The piano at home, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and then the wild composers would come in and, and dazzle them all and teach them. And is there a um, is there a technique uh, versus artistry? Because there is, I think there is a sense here. We were talking about this before we started mm. recording, actually earlier on, that there's a musical technique one can have, but the soul can be missing. The sense of something more elevated and beautiful, and you know, you yeah. there's often a struggle, isn't there, between that that those yeah. two competing ideas? And and it feels like maybe at times today, technique. Like I think of modern pop music, and mm. you've got, I, I, if I understand it correctly, a very small handful of composers who are writing for all of the big artists, right. and they are just writing to a, a formula. It's a yeah, technique, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 that's true. 
But what does it mean? If you're writing a song, mm. you know, oh, my baby left me, I'm alone, I'm sad, but mm. literally that mm. never happened to you. There's yeah, a certain yeah. fraud in all of that, right? <laughs> but the technique's there. You could say it like that. But, I mean, we, we write stories about things that didn't happen to us. But, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's true, I suppose. The question is ownership. I, I, Do I think, you, who think, owns it? I think you're right about formula, though. Yeah. I mean, I think people like Lloyd Webber, like we had the coronation and then Lloyd Webber wrote something for it. Yeah. And I thought at the time, it's a particularly bad piece that um, it's it's kind of, I don't know exactly what he was trying to do, but when you heard the glorious music from the Baroque oh, period yeah. that fits coronations, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you hear his attempt... And it's and he and he could have imitated the style that sounds much more royal and, and coronationy, yeah. yeah. But it it had too much of that syrupy feel of one of his little musicals, yeah. And, it, and which I of, love, by the way, as a musical. But in that context, great as musicals. it doesn't fit right. And, in yeah, that and that's maybe something really important to stress because because often we get misinterpreted. Yeah. Um, when we say sacred music has this particular feel, it doesn't mean. That that it's the only good music, and there isn't any other good yeah, music, yeah. or that there's something wrong with the musical other music. snobbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, the folk songs of the Middle Ages are fantastic, but they are songs to celebrate life with, songs to tell stories to. Yeah, you know, they had their purpose. Yeah. Sacred music was to worship God with. Yeah, and it was to elevate. And because of the concept of the liturgy we have yeah. in Catholic liturgy and in the Orthodox which is that heaven is always worshipping God and Christ is there in his wounded body, like his wounds are glorious, but he's offering them to the Father as a priest. And and, and because his body is, is before us in the liturgy, um, it's like we are suddenly elevated up to yeah. be part of a heavenly liturgy that's it's already Kairos, going It's Kairos, right? On. We're stepping yeah. out of time. We're stepping yeah. out of the secular out of the profane, profane. When people hear the word yeah. profane today, they think, "Oh, you mean dirty?" No, no. just non, non, non sacred. Yeah. yeah, that's what it means. And we, and we, and we are joining a liturgy that's already going on. This is, and and, and that actually reflects um, the ancient concepts of music in lots of cultures. Yeah. That when we say music today, we just mean what we can hear in tunes and songs. Yeah. But but. Um, music to the ancients was the first music was the music of the spheres, the music of the universe. Yeah. Then there was the music of the harmony of the human body, and then there was the third music, which we call music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was what, which was our imitation of this in sound. Yeah. So, 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 um, and then you have um, the Christian concept of music, which is that um, you could say the sun sings to the sun is the word of God. Yeah. But he's, in a certain way, singing to the Father all the time. You could say the Holy Spirit is the voice. And yeah. there's, there's, there is a kind of harmony or a song, yeah. eternal song of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and so when, when um, we get the scriptures, we get God's own words to, use, to give yeah. back to God and we sing them back to God. Why is sacred, um, why is sacred music then not... Bound by fad in the same way, like because it, it did arise in a particular time. But I'll give you an example, a, mm. a comparison. Mm. You watch uh, through the seventies, a lot of films for whatever reason decided doesn't matter what the theme was, they mm. decided disco soundtracks were the way to go because it was right the on. fad. Now you watch a film like that today, and it's dated. Yeah, the films from that era that used orchestral classical settings, mm. they're still timeless, and yeah. you don't get pulled out of the film and into that yeah. period. Why is sacred music not dated in that same way? Do you think mm. because it did arise in a particular period of history? Well, um, at the beginning, it was simply 
It was at the service of the words first. Um, it was using very natural and very simple cells. So, like, um, if you think of uh, kids when they're taunting each other, yeah. you can't play and I can. Yeah. They're singing three notes. Um, so they're singing a minor third, la, la, and a major second on top. La, 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 da, dee, dee, da, da, da. So that's dum, dee, dum, dee, dum. Every mode is based on that little set. Yeah. And then um, take another one and put it at the bottom of it and you'll get six notes and then fill in the little gap yeah. with either a semitone that side or that side and you'll get the eight modes. And yeah. and um, and so um, there's something very natural about the modes. When you hear them, you, you, you know that too. So so I think it just arose from the very natural way that happened to be the Jews sang their psalms. Yeah. So you've got to go back to King David really. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the, the whole book of songs there. The well, so this this would make sense of why then you have these medieval uh, musicians, quote unquote, yeah. who really understand or view this as a gift from the Holy Spirit. You yeah. know, it, it, yeah. there's something quite profound because here. because the prayer of the church itself, you know, was going on. The Jews used to pray at least seven times a day. Yeah, and um, the apostles carried that on. Yeah, just that they understood that every word of the psalm was really about Christ or somehow. Yeah. And so they added glory be to the Father at the end of every psalm. Yeah. But really, um, glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But um, you see it in the in the, in the the Acts of the Apostles. Peter goes up on the roof to do his office, to do his prayers because it's 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 9 o'clock. That's right. You know, there's times of the day. And, and it also happens to correspond to special times around the Lord's Passion yeah. when he got arrested, when he got nailed to the cross, when he died on the cross. So... so um, the, 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 those kind of things, the hours, um, was the synagogue um, liturgy. Yeah. So the liturgy of the word, which we have in Mass, where at the beginning of Mass and you would have readings and singing psalms, um, that was what you would have encountered in the synagogue. Then the Christians would meet in their houses for the breaking of bread. That was the yeah. Eucharistic part. Yeah. So, um, And then at the beginning of the church, the apostles went to the synagogue still and and they joined in interpreting and said it's yeah, all about until Christ. they were kicked out right they kicked out and then yeah. they take that bit and stick it with the breaking of the bread part yeah and so you you get the structure of the mass having a first half around the word and the second half around the around the Eucharist yeah and um and, uh, and then but then the whole day is punctuated by those singing of psalms so so uh, and so um and most of the music in the history of medieval medieval church is from psalms. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know you didn't sing a song as an entrance song. Yeah. You sang some lines of you sang a psalm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and there will be a psalm for that day that fitted the theme of that day in the gospel. And so you know how we got a psalm now in the middle. Yeah. There would have been a psalm at the beginning, a psalm at the communion, a psalm yeah. at the offertory. And, and you are and connecting that, yourself to something bigger than yourself, right? That's a powerful moment of tradition. Yeah. You're saying, I connect to this thing that comes before yeah. me. I don't have to invent something yeah. to entertain or and what draw we you tended, in. And what we tended to invent wasn't ever to entertain, but what we did tend to invent was the antiphon. So, yeah. so we have a phrase, especially for that day, yeah. 
um, that sums up. It might it might even be from a gospel or something. Yeah, or, like the ascension. You know, he he yeah. rose back to the Father while we watched. Yeah, you know, that, it's yeah. And then we sing an ancient psalm, which might refer to elements yeah. of the ascension subtly yeah. in the ancient words. But but the antiphons. Um, got created musically differently to the psalm. Yeah. So the psalm would always be yearning and never ending. So, for example, it might go, um, um, Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Hanging all the time up there and it's going to spin around there. Then it's going to come down. But that's not the home. The home of that no. mode is dumb. Yeah. So it never hits the home in the psalm. It's yearning. It's staying yeah. up there. And then the antiphon's job is anchor this thing da -da -dee, and make sure you end right there. Now you're finished. So it was the antiphon that anchored the psalm, yeah. uh, musically speaking. And and that was always the way the psalms were set. Yeah. So and and the Gregorian chant are really antiphons. Yeah. In the middle, you sing the psalms, and then you go back to the chant. So antiphons. from mm. an, just putting on my authentically conservative hat here, the authentic yep. conservative mind would say this is a beautiful example of uh, a tradition that is being uh, it's flourishing. Yeah. You know, it's not being torn down and replaced with my own latest yeah. ego maniacal or my own personal preference mm. creation. It's it's I, I'm building on what is and and I don't yeah. lose what is to come, uh, but I also add yeah. a contribution from this moment. Yeah. You know? Now we had hymns, one hymn in morning prayer. Yeah. One hymn in evening prayer. And a hymn is a specific thing. Yeah. A hymn is where where you have the same tune with different words called verses. Yeah. <laughs> um that's not the norm for um for chant, chant yeah. normally unfolds completely freely through the whole text. Yeah. So, so, so when you get to the hymn, um, it's got a it's got a meter effectively because it's got a set tune and you fit each verse um, to that. So you've got poetry that fits that. It's like a normal song to us. It's yeah. completely normal, but that's what a hymn strictly is. But even the Catholic hymns weren't like the. Lutheran hymns. So mm. um, Martin Luther was a great musician. Mm. Not a great one, actually, but he was a musician. Um, Bach was a great musician. Oh, but <laughs> no. he was a Lutheran. <laughs> and he had 20 kids, so, you know, it's arguable, arguable that he was also Catholic. <laughs> um, <laughs> to any of our, our non-Catholic listeners, we yeah. love you. We yeah. love you. We do. And Rob, we, Robbie likes to And we'd love you to stick. come back. Uh, but, um, <laughs> right now, back to right, the music. Anyway, <laughs> uh, one of the things at the Reformation mm. was one of the complaints, especially Calvin more than Luther, because he was less of a musician. Yeah, yeah. Um, he thought that all of the singing in four parts was complicating the music, not making it comprehensible, the words, getting in the way that the composer's trying to be flash and showing off. Oh, and, and 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 so he banned... The, he wanted it banned, um, polyphonic music, and go back to just So tunes. did he do that in Geneva, did he? I think so, yeah. Well, they basically just went to the hymn, as yeah. the, so they don't use polyphony. Um, Luther Interesting. Wasn't, wasn't quite... So kept hymns, no polyphony. Yeah, but they made their new hymns because they because Luther spread a lot of his ideas through songs. So they were like pub songs. Yeah. Um, there might have been songs about how bad the church is, <laughs> yeah. but... but Things spread through songs really well. Dirty old Rome. Yeah. Dirty, Dirty old, old Rome. Rome. <laughs> Who do you think you are kidding, <laughs> Mr. Hitler? You know, keeps morale up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah of course. Yeah. So 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 a lot of the hymns, and I know I like the hymns, yeah. but they can be a little bit straight jacketed. If you think of like um 
uh, you know, some of the great hymns we use. Uh, most of them go back to around Luther's time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and praise to the holiest in the heights and in the depths be praised for in all his works most wonderful, most sure in all his ways. They're singable melodies. They're nice yeah. enough. Yeah. But that, that was actually the start of the pub song back then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, actually, Sacred Head Surrounded, which is a beautiful hymn. Yeah. Was originally a pub, oh, a pub no. song. Oh, no. Was it? Yeah. Don't tell me that. I yeah, love it. Because that. they sang nice it. music in pubs back then. So, so <laughs> oh, no, I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm scandalized. And, um, and, but even the church wow. did this, like like the composers of, for the church in the Renaissance, they didn't always choose Gregorian chant and make it the basis. There was a very famous um, pub song about a uh, soldier in France. Yeah. Dun da dee da da dun dun dee 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 da da dee, which is a nice folk folky sound. Yeah. Yeah. They would use that as the slow thing you slowed right down because it gave a really cool harmony of chord one, chord four, chord five, like the basic. Um, yeah. Modern day guitarist would know. So, um, and that, first that's listen. me. First listen, you know, you learn three chords and you can play anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You've got it. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Like, da, one and four and down you go. Five, yeah. one, five, four, <laughs> three, two, one, five, 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 one. So it became a very good harmonic basis for, yeah. for a thing. So, um, even at the Reformation, um, we did need to purify some of our music because the, it was true that some of the composers were being extra flash for their own kick. Yeah. Um, they'd write a piece forwards to the middle and then write it exactly in reverse on oh, the way no, back. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but it was clever, very clever. Yeah. Um, but it was about them or it rather be, than... It could be you start there and I'll start there. We'll meet in the oh, middle yeah, and it all yeah. harmonise. It's just, just a clever writing, but it's not unnecessary to... Okay, so what yeah. are the implications for that for today then? Like like why 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 can't someone say, let's say, well, I heard a song in a pub last night. I'm going to put um, some words from... Well, the difference is the, difference is the, the style of music, which we call pop music now... Is, is, so, is so far radically departed. has gone has gone yeah yeah um quite a long way from even medieval folk music. There's some of it you could use as hymns today yeah because it's quite peaceful. Well, because when you do, you think about oh sacred head surrounded. There's there's no sense. It's of, got a lovely yearning in it. Yeah, and uh, there's one I I know you quite like. Um, Oh, beauty ever ancient. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. And yet so new. Yeah. Beautiful tune. With Augustine. Yeah, uh, um, well, I, I just put Augustine's words to that tune, but that tune is actually a Norwegian ancient folk song. Yeah. It's not a Norwegian wood. <laughs> yeah. But it's got a beautiful feel to it that you can. Oh, you can tell, oh, that's very yearning, very yeah. sad and yearning. That would be actually work very well as a hymn. Yeah. You could, so a musical person can, I suppose, detect more easily the yeah. exact nuance in a tune. I see the sorcery, I the dark arts going on here. Yeah, I yeah. know what you're up to. <laughs> yeah. would, would that, does that mean that like Oh Sacred Head Surrounded might have been faster in a pub and they've slowed Possible, it right down? Possible, but, but not every pub song has to be oh, rawdy, yeah. you, know? you know? Like it could just be like... Like you could sing Scarborough Fair in a pub. We are going to Scarborough Fair. Yeah, I suppose in the old days, um, and it's and it's, it's a very folky little song. That's all. Or you could say, "Remember, old maid Mary, who oh, by the sea did yeah, die." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's probably so, just telling a story. Yeah, like, yeah. like a like yeah. um, an Irish jig does. Yeah, you know, yeah, an yeah. Irish 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 ballad. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. A lot of ballads are. 
a story mode for story. Yeah. Um, so that's well. Well, this is this is something I wanted to talk to you about. I just, we'll, we'll try and we've talked for a while, but this is good. I love mm. this. But just a couple of things I wanted to to touch on before we wrap up. One is this common complaint about well, isn't just sort of some sort of veiled subjectivism here? Is it just mm. preference? Is it just taste? Why can't we apply our modern tastes and sensibilities? Well, yeah, you know? I, I think there I think, is a certain subjectivity. I think the answer right? to that is. Um, music's got an amazing power. Uh, obviously, if if a song is written well, the 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 feel of the music fits well. Yeah. What the words are either getting at specifically, like in word painting, yeah, or what the words are getting at overall, like the spirit of prayer in a in a prayer, you know. Yeah. So, um, and the music should support it. Um, when you think of the soundtrack of a movie, you know, uh, I think the best composers these days are often people who write soundtracks for movies because yeah. they're really using a Hans lot of Zimmer and guys a lot like of skill a lot of the old school yeah. that would have been like Max Richter's another one yeah, yeah. and they and their job is to see that film exactly in its timing mm. construct a thing that works musically and and follows every nuance of yeah. that story with the right backing emotion it's allegory right? again right yeah. they are telling yeah. the musical story that draws you into the story yeah so you could throw out this film in the end and just mm. play the soundtrack and the person <laughs> yeah. might not know the actual story but they would get a an emotionally yeah. compelling journey that made sense right from when, start to when, when I hear uh, yeah. the Imperial March by John Williams, if I'd mm. never seen Star Wars and I didn't know Darth Vader, I would know that a serious yeah. military force has entered the story. Yeah, at that, yeah, that yeah. Point, right? And 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 um, List actually came up with this thing before movies were invented. <laughs> yeah. um, it's called the symphonic poem. Yeah. Where instead of writing the symphony based on we start in this key and go to that key and follow structures like that, he he got a story. Mm. Say so it was Cinderella. And and so the opening would be the Ugly Sisters, and then this. But there's no words in this thing. It's a symphonic piece. He doesn't tell anyone it's Cinderella, <laughs> but it makes sense because of the emotional journey and that story being applied to music. Yeah, and interesting. Sound. But what, what I guess what I'm mentioning that is, um, it's not really subjective what what music is expressing it is no. within a within if you had to use descriptive words yeah there'll be a range of words people would come up with around the same piece of music yeah. but it's but it's not they're not contradictory it's not like like he's a really sad yearning um you know poignant piece of music that's quite profound oh and someone else says no that's really joyful and bouncy <laughs> and a celebration. No, they're not going to say that <laughs> yeah. about the same thing unless there's yeah. something really wrong with them. <laughs> the but, russian yeah <laughs> So, so um, from that yeah. point of view, um, so are there constraints? Then the the music has a certain uh, law to it that it, you can't really break and say, "Well, I'm just being subjective here." This well, there's music. There's music for so many different reasons, hmm. and and so if you're having a fun dance, if you're having a fun poke at something, a parody, hmm. if you're telling a story and you really want the words to come through, if you're trying to express prayer, if you're trying to express um, Absolute drama, mm. you know, it's completely different. Now, if you think of Hannah's Messiah, which is a glorious two-hour-long thing, yeah, uh, telling the story of Jesus, but you don't sing that in church as part of the liturgy, yeah. Um, but it, but it is an amazing musical reflection on on the scriptures yeah. that you'd w sit in a hall and listen to and go, that was profound and wonderful. Yeah. It yeah. made me think of the whole story of. 
Christ from the point of view of the Old Testament with this glorious music and or, or, or one of the Bach passions, you know. He hasn't written it for you to sit in church at the time of Good Friday and hear the passion reading no. like that. Uh, it's it's actually meant to be an extension. It's like a movie. Yeah. So we made a movie, Jesus of Nazareth. You're not going to watch it in church. <laughs> but But it's to make you reflect through high art on the thing. There's high art... And hot, and the church has really got it right in Vatican II, um, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Not all for our non-Catholic listeners. That's a document that was written at the Second Vatican Council yep. by the Catholic Church, and uh, it focuses on these some of these questions. On the liturgy, yeah. Mm. And it says, um, you know, the church has always welcomed all high art, but it allows some of it into the liturgy. So mm. it's 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 not that it's not that because the piece is high oh, art, yeah, yeah. it belongs in the liturgy. Um, it depends if it's got the right spirit. So the right character. Yeah, right? The right it's got to be fitting. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 then it says uh, the, the the high art that has the spirit of sacred music. Yeah, is welcomed in the liturgy. But then there's high art for plays, for coronations, for for um, dramas. Then there's then there's not so high art. Like folk song isn't really high yeah. art, but it's beautiful. It's great yeah. for singing around the fire. It's great for singing at home. It's great for telling a story in a play. Yeah. Um. But it's not great for, you know, you wouldn't do the King's Coronation with just a few folk songs. No. You want it to sound <laughs> grand and glorious. Yeah. So you use the grand glorious music of the Baroque period where they're trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but, but um, yeah, so, so, so you've got to say, well, why did the Beatles write what they wrote? You know what? Yeah. What are they getting at? What 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 are the, what are the bands that came along in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and on it went? Yeah. What what were they expressing? What were they getting at? Um, can you just put Jesus words on top of their music and say, now I've got a sacred song? Yeah. Um, you haven't. You've got the completely wrong mood for a sacred yeah. song. In, so you might have song. what you might you say you'd have Christian pop. Christian pop should not be used for yeah. worship. Yeah. So so um, but but it, but it, but it can be very nice. If you, because you have to think, what is pop music for? And it's often for unwinding, relaxing, um, turning your mind off. Yeah. But in a nice way. Celebration. A nice celebration. Yeah. 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 Um, when I say turn your mind off, I don't mean that derogatory. I mean, and uh, I mean, um, you know, all the worries. You relax. Like, so you yeah, don't. Just you just chill out. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, but then, is that what prayer is? You see. Yeah. Good um, and and that, this is where Pope Benedict's so good on this. Um, he he goes right back to the ancient Greeks and says they had two basic styles of. They had the worship of Apollos and the worship of Dionysius, and one was like full on orgiastic, um, self indulgent. The, all of the rhythm, lusts and full yeah, of um, yeah. uh, full of like like working you into a frenzy. Yeah. And, and and getting a group alarm, so yeah. getting a group a group bounce euphoria. Yeah, euphoria mm. from yeah. the music, almost yeah. like a trance. Yeah. And the other one was really um, intellectual and kind of um, balanced, and it was in the in the perfection of the structure that made you think noble thoughts. You know. Mm. So and and he identifies those two those two forces in music have always been present. Yeah. And if you look at the medievals, you you can see it. You can see in the chant. One style you can see in the celebrations another style, um, in the in the Renaissance it's quite ordered in the Baroque it's they're trying to be more and more big and expressive and emotional because the 
the Counter-Reformation was about saying, well, we've got the true religion if we've got better music than you. <laughs> so it was basically a competition between Bach and everyone else. Yeah, rap battles. Ancient yeah, rap yeah, battles rap, of history. The, ancient, the first rap battle was Bach was a Lutheran and who can beat Bach? So we had to go all out to try and beat Bach. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... And then um, <laughs> And then, uh, you know, you get to the classical period where they want to go back to the refinement of form with Mozart, the structure, mm -hmm. the balance, and they think it's gaudy to be like they were in the Baroque. The Baroque actually means gaudy, and they named them gaudy. <laughs> um, and then, and then um, you have the Romantic period that says, oh, these structured people, we want to let out our raw emotions. Yeah, we want to, yeah. you know? And then, so it's the, the humanity's always swinging between yeah, those two a, things. There's a wrestling, right? Yeah, because they're part of us, you know. The raw emotion is wonderful, but so is refinement and yeah. control and it's a little bit like virtue um if you if you have the great desire to be a really nice a really good guy and a generous guy and everything but you had no actual thought of how yeah um so you, so so you you end up throwing money at everything or yeah, yeah. throwing burgers at every beggar or whatever yeah. thinking you're doing a great work but but there's no intelligence in the way. No. So, so you haven't. And the, the guy with the cholesterol problem, you kill him by giving yeah. him a burger. You know. So you haven't got you haven't got wisdom yet. Yeah. So you need practical wisdom, but you also do need. You don't want everything reduced down to a formula to be told. Oh well, this is what you do in this situation. That's what you do in that. No, you've got to be able to judge that thing. But you still want the goodwill from the heart that is spontaneous, yeah. Yeah. but but with wisdom on top of it. You know yeah. what I mean. And judging the situation of the person in front of you is what do they really need? What will really help yeah. them? That sort of thing. So 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 all of those components are there. It's a little bit like that in music as well. So music, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. That, that wrestling is a great analogy, really, isn't it? Because it it seems that that reality. Because even you can have a really like I sense something that really is quite beautifully ordered and sacred, but if it gets into excess, like the whoever's uh, uh, the, mm. the, the the I guess the conductor of ceremonies or whatever it might be, mm. if they get into excess, then that rigidity actually crushes what is you know what's, mm. what that's meant to aid. It's meant to be a vehicle for going yeah. upwards, yeah. you know. Yeah, and yeah. So and so the, uh, there are different schools of thought because some people think that if it's high music, it's fine for say church. Yeah. Um. And so, um. I don't know. I mean, I'm. I think the best church music we ever wrote really is from the medieval and Renaissance period because we yeah. were really focusing then. Uh, they were full time church composers writing yeah. for the glory of God from the tradition. Yeah. And then we we got a little bit seduced by the emotional character of opera. Yeah. And so the sacred music started copying the secular style, which was a high style. It, was, it wasn't yeah. low music. It was really high music. So we put an orchestra in the church. We had proper operatic soloists, <laughs> soprano, alto, tenor, bassing, the main parts of the Kyrie with the choir behind them. You know, It was, yeah. it was like we're trying to do an opera without the acting and the costumes. Uh, but for, but we were doing it to the words of the Gloria, yeah, you know, and and it worked. A lot of composers did it very well, yeah. Um, but at the same time, we have moved quite a long way from what what what, we, what music was doing before that. Yeah, and there the, the came different moments where Gregorian chant makes a comeback because it is so much simpler and so much more reverent. Yeah, and then and then the church at different times, I think near the end of the nineteenth century and again in the twentieth saying we need to get back to the chant because we sort of started getting lost in, in styles that were high music but more copied from the secular. Yeah. And and uh, the problem with today, though, is when you got to the beginning of the 20th century, classical music collapsed. Yeah. 
because they they got so adventurous with their harmony and everything else. They mm. they actually thought, what you can't do anything else. Yeah, they actually thought that exhausted it. So that so they thought, well, we can try and copy Mozart, but we're always going to be cheap copies. No, none of us are actually Mozart. Yeah, look at these great geniuses before us. We're not that guy. Um, uh, so let's just be more and more experimental. Let's be novel. Let's be new rather than yeah. let's be beautiful. So you know, and you got crazy things happening in early 20th century classical music. So it kind of became the the area of university snobs. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. they would sit yeah. and listen to something ugly and go, oh, yes, that's an interesting effect. Yeah, it's like the beat parts yeah. right of the 60s, you know. But most people aren't going to. So, so what, <laughs> yeah. what took over in the popular sphere was... Is this where you start to get a... Um, a like, this is, this interestingly enough, this has always been a, a bit of a struggle between the elites who want to progress... Yeah. And they look down on the common man because they often yeah. don't want to go with them. Is this yeah. when you start seeing that happening, like musically, where classical gets captured by that sort of unhelpful snobbery, and the common man draws away from it? Well, there was always there was always probably a snobbery because it was it was the stuff, it was the stuff of the upper class. Yeah, because music was always commissioned either by church or palace. Yeah, and composers worked for one of one of those, or yeah. sometimes they changed around, but yeah. Um, basically, they had their brief. We need music for the for our church liturgy, or we need music for the court. Yeah, you know they weren't free to write whatever. Yeah, um, and it was uh, the first guy to try and be completely detached from that was was well Mozart left that system. Yeah, uh, he was first, first with an archbishop, and then with then he freelanced a bit, but he yeah. died a pauper and was thrown in a pauper's grave because there was no money in, in being a freelancer. Yeah, and Beethoven was the first full freelancer, and he was also struggled. He was kicked out of 51 houses because he couldn't pay his rent. So, yeah. you know, they didn't have the security anymore, but they had to work on, on having either some rich friends that thought it was cool that they supported a composer or they had one or two hits every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of an, an opera that did well or something like that. But then, um, um, so uh, when you got the French Revolution and then all the revolutions in Europe in the 19th century... Uh, the middle class suddenly emerged as the new upper class. So yeah. the bankers and the merchants and those guys were suddenly ruling the world instead of people who had been brought up properly. <laughs> and so, no offence to anyone uh, in finance yeah. who's listening. Yeah, yeah. No offence to you globalists. <laughs> right, um, back to the music, Robert. <laughs> Masons. Back to the music. But um, anyway, um, um, point mm. being, that changed music even in the classical sphere because mm. – those people turned up at concerts going, what what, what did the rich used to do? What did the upper class do? Uh, oh, they did concerts. Oh, well, we, we should go to concerts. And then they go along, and you can't play them delicate Scarlatti and, <laughs> and beautiful Baroque music. They'll, be, they'll just start talking through it. So they need to hear a very flash Chopin that's really fast or Liszt going all over the piano or Paganini going all over the violin or <laughs> yeah. the opera singers singing really loudly, the orchestra yeah. being really big. So the Romantic period is like... Hugely like that, yeah. Because it's a whole middle class, rambunctious to lower class, yeah. Thinking they're being cultured now, but they haven't really got their upbringing <laughs> to be patient and <laughs> shut up and listen. It's, so, um, yeah. so, uh, uh, so that's one thing. It's still great music. It's very great music. The nineteenth century. Um, we have a fizzle out though when we decide we can't really write in a key anymore because we've kind of written everything that could be written, yeah, and and uh, almost oppression. So. Uh, then what takes over is the is the pop world emerges through jazz, blues, yeah, interesting. jazz, everything like that, um, and then finally you rock and all of that. So, so, so is, is that journey then? 
in a sense, but, a reflection too of the cultural collapse because our, yeah. the Western culture has collapsed now into this just mm. mess of subjective confusion and yeah. silos and ideologies. Yeah. And the music mirrors that. Yeah, music know? always mirrors. So um, music uh, – and sometimes it, I'm not sure if what comes first. They, they reckon they think philosophy comes first, is it? Yeah. Your ideology tends to, to, to come a little bit ahead and the arts follow that. Yeah. So um, what you've got majorly – um, at the beginning of the 20th century was relativism yeah. hit music. So they literally said, uh, like if you go to Schoenberg and Berg, these, this German school of thought in the 1930s, they literally said, it's wrong to play the note C and play it again before you've played all 11 other notes, like C sharp D, <laughs> D sharp E. It's wrong for you to favour Certain notes oh, wow. more than others. Wow! Uh, so we will compose e- like, equity and inclusion. Yeah, <laughs> we will. But they needed perfect equity. Wow. So what they did was they made up a tone row, which meant you, of the twelve notes that there are on a piano, yeah. you know, before you repeat yourself. Yeah. Put them in any order you want, any order, completely random. You could do it by pulling them out of a hat. Yeah. That's the order you have to keep them in in this piece, either forwards or backwards. Yeah. Or you could invert, meaning if I went up a fifth, I could go down a fifth. So so upside down. Yeah. Forwards and upside down and backwards and yeah. upside down backwards. And and every single chord they made, they just take say the say the first three notes were da da ping. They put those three notes together if they wanted a chord, if it was time for those three notes. So <laughs> you get the ugly music. Dissonance. Ugly, ugly, ugly music. <laughs> it's called serial music, like a serial killer. <laughs> Um, and it killed music. Um, I think even today people say that was a failed experiment, but but there were people doing that for 20 or 30 years, going to Germany yeah. for specialist training in Believing it. Believing that this yeah. was this that post-modernist was one school thought. of thought there. Yeah. But that's complete relativism. And, and the idea there was, well, you you think the fifth, boom, boom, is nice together because of your um, – it's just um, – Social conditioning. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, if, you got, if you heard the seventh – over and over in the supermarket, yeah. you'd think that was nice. It's actually not true because yeah. the reason we find certain intervals, um, you know, uh, harmonic and beautiful is because of the way the it's actually the maths behind it. And the, yeah, there is the a ratios, law. There's a natural the, the ratios law there, right? of the vibrations. We yeah. are picking up that yeah. the octave is every every two sounds, you know, sine waves are coinciding. Yeah. Um, and the fifth is so. The, this is all of this is a forerunner, and I, I'm sure our listeners are starting yep. to get this to what we live <coughs> in today. Now, you know, oh, yep. this is just a social construct. Your morality is a social construct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Who are you, you know? to say? Yeah. Well, well, who's who's to say that that um, you know that chord C E G uh, sounds nice? Yeah. And yet, if you take a trumpet with no valves, the old yeah. trumpet. You know, if you blow through a brass thing yeah. and then you change the pressure on your lips and change it again, guess what comes out? The chord comes out. You know, C, G, C, E. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's all there in nature in yeah. lots of different ways. It, it's the harmonic series. It, it just is it, So there is know? an abandonment of natural law. And yeah. that's what we see in morality natural as law well. was thrown out of music. And and what, my, what who didn't do that was the pop side of it. They, they kept the chords. They, they, so, so And they, they, they became the new folk music. So yeah. they were accessible. They were they were they were um, nice. They were yeah. entertaining. They were you know it was pleasant. You could unwind to it. Yeah. Um, and that's cool. 
yeah. as long as you are doing a thing that is unwinding. Yeah. So come home from work and, and unwind, sure. Yeah. But you don't go to church to unwind. It's funny. You go to it's 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 bigger than unwinding. Yeah. So it's not toe tapping. If you're toe tapping, you're probably doing it wrong. If 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 it's where the charismatics come into a funny uh, clash with everybody else because um, uh, sometimes they used basically pop songs with Jesus words um, for this for their mainstay of their songs. Yeah, and and there's something in those songs that's actually just the relaxing of the mind down to not thinking. Um, just in the music, which is not to criticize it. It's just to say that's what a pop song does. Yeah. Um, and so when you're suddenly using it as prayer, um, it's it's it can be working against the spirit of the prayer, which is to lift mind to God, yeah, not that's to interesting. mind down. Right. It's time for our final little musical interlude for this episode. And this snippet is one of my personal favorites, actually. Uh, it's a piece of music written by Robert Lorette's. It's set to an 11th century Gregorian chant and it is called A Wonderful Exchange and it's based on sort of the mystery of the divine human exchange that Christ enters into through the incarnation by taking on human form. And the words that Robert has written here are inspired by Saint Athanasius as he wonders at the miraculous love of Christ and his emptying so that we might actually be filled. So this is called O Wonderful Exchange by Robert Loretz. You have were born of power, born below the son of your daughter. That we first born of the flesh may be reborn by your spirit and water. Master, you became a slave, that those enslaved be free. Now ever son of man, so that the sons of God man may be. For life and death have fought, by their own power death is overcome. Your love is stronger than death, a love that flows from the Father and Son. A sinless one became sin, you prince of life were killed. Emptied yourself through flesh, that by your holy breath we be filled. Wonderful exchange we bring to you that which you have first given. That you who made earthly goods make them to be your own body from heaven. And by that body we are fed, and so that body become. Join to our Saviour and Head, we as your holy bride are begun. 
when you step outside of, um, say, a more structured sacred liturgy mm. and you have a prayer meeting or a prayer gathering, yeah. it could be entirely appropriate to yeah. use that you have type of music there. a Christian camp and you yeah. want to unwind in the evenings. Yeah. You, you, or, you know, you or want to a big a rally sing. and yeah. you want to appeal yeah. to young people. There's and something and in it's, that. Or the speaker's going to speak. We're singing. Yeah. It's like singing the fun music of Montserrat. Yeah. So 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 they didn't sing it in their main liturgy because they want to be very serious about that. Yeah. But they sing it to love God when yeah. they wanted to be happy. It's relaxed. an authentic festival in a sense because yeah. God is still at the heart of it. But there's a festival around yeah. it. Yeah. You know. And that's why I think. Yeah. I think when I used to start explaining to people what was wrong with certain hymns, um, the main hymns I attack actually aren't the ones based around like Hillsong. No. Which can still be quite nice. Yeah, they've written some beautiful stuff. But but actually, the ones I don't like um, are the ones that sound like Disney tracks. The music that sounds like it's written for Aladdin, or um, oh, yeah. or you know, like just yeah. that that cheesy. Will you um, come and worship with me? You yeah, know, and, yeah. and it's like this yeah, doesn't yeah. belong here. Um, yeah. Seven men with seven troubles, seven verses to my song. I am the dwarf who never knows the answer. I am the dwarf who always gets it wrong. I am the dwarf the others call dopey. I'm always mucking up the song. You know, that's a Benedict Farrell hymn. But she doesn't use those words. But it's that, that that's same the tune. tune, is it? Hers goes, praise to you, O Christ, our Saviour, word of the Father, calling us to life, Son of God, who leads us to freedom, glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What, what is that? Is that, I want to be charitable, I, I want to be charitable here. Yeah. Is this someone who's really well-meaning but just lacks the skill to necessary? I think, yeah, to- I, think, I think she hasn't made the discernment. Uh, she she come up with a cool melody. Yeah, it is a nice folky melody, actually. Cool, um, and it has a place. It would work very well in the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, which is why I gave it the Seven Dwarfs words to show how well it works. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right because the I you know what I think I feel is lacking. I feel there's a, a worshipper's sincerity that's lacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I hear I see worshipful totally sincerity in, in a lot of um, Hillsong yeah. music. That's yeah, there is sincerity. Yeah. But but part of that sincerity, unfortunately, has been picked up. It, it's, it is because you do sing pop songs in a very sincere way. You could say, in one level, mm. like because um, if you don't put your heart into a pop song, you're not doing it well. Yeah. You know, like and actually, why pop songs often need a good singer. Yeah. Um. The the normal people in a church all trying to sing like that can't because yeah. they haven't got that kind of yeah. You actually need a bit of force and a bit of. But um, I don't know if there's a worshipper's sincerity. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's like there is a sincerity, mm. but it seems to me that worshipful sincerity is is you know it's it looking at the concept place. of prayer too because because uh, that's where uh, the Hillsong and all of that came from Protestant, um, but more Pentecostal style uh, background, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. their worship is based around um, what they create through their music. Um, like a lot of their thing is singing a lot of songs, mm-hmm. and then maybe a little bit of intercessory prayer, perhaps some prayer for healing. Yeah. Um. Uh. And, and 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 the way they want to create an atmosphere, and and sometimes they're calling one praise because it's upbeat and worship because it's more mellow. Yeah. And they and they often have a formula like oh. We get some crazy ones out first, and then we'll, yeah. we'll mellow out the evening. You so have it, you have a bridging to song. Bring ourselves down to into yeah. this nicer mode of praying, and then we'll then we'll buzz it out at the end. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not completely wrong. Like you do it, you do do it, and everything. Like, 
your entrance song and your last song at mass is probably more beefy than yeah. your communion song because you want it to be more intimate. Yeah. But but they're not. Um, you're not seeking to control the mood of people. Um, like you don't create the prayer by controlling the mood. Yeah. Yeah. But but at the same time. Because in the liturgy, you've got a prayer that's already set, you could say. Yeah. You, the prayer is always that dynamic of offering Christ to the Father. Yeah. And then you think, well, what music would have suited that? Um, if you stood at the cross with Mary and John, you know, like what does it mean to lift your heart and mind yeah. up with yeah, the sacrifice right. of Christ being yeah. offered to the Father? It actually is something quite solemn. Yeah, it's funny because I remember there was a period where you had, um, I don't think it lasted long, but people who are claiming they had Christian worship trance music. You know, oons, oons, yeah, oons. trance is dangerous. Yeah, and, and why do you say that? Tell me why you say that. Because trance trance is the shutdown of the mind. It's a bit like hypnotism. Yeah, okay. And um, it's, trance goes well with Buddhism. Um, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really go with ours. Well, it's interesting. You go to a, a you go to a mm. trance party or a dance party where they use that. Yeah. And what do you do? Most people are taking some kind of drug yeah, that drug. takes them out, and yeah. it's pure euphoria. I was going to mention that before because because that's something Pope Benedict does mention too. Like the worship of Dionysius goes very well with drugs. It is the whole thing of um, let's forget how hard life is. Yeah. And zone out into some other sphere of of um, for, for now yeah. escapism. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain element of that tucked away in a lot of pop music. Yeah. It's a kind of relaxing escapism, which yeah. is not wrong. It's like it's like playing a game because you just, you know, yeah. you've had a stressful day. Let's sit down and play code names or something. Yeah. Or something silly even. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. Um, so there's a place for that in life. But then um, is that ever going to be what you want to bring to God for the best of yeah. your worship? No, it's not going to be And that. should you stay in that place? No. Right. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's you've wrong to, if you've, you've got remained to go past there. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with Catholic life, and especially the way life was so integrated before. Um, there was always a place for the festival. There was always a place for the fun. There was always a place for the, even the sarcastic parody song. <laughs> yeah. But but you didn't mix them all together and say they're all the same. If we just change that word to Jesus, it becomes a hymn. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> last last uh, topic of conversation. Um, I don't know if you've given much thought to this, but we're starting to see now the emergence of AI, artificial intelligence, music. Right. What a, I mean, philosophically, we talked about soulless music before earlier on. We talked about yeah. the soul. I mean, that is the pinnacle of soulless music, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what that is is clever um, imitation of of um, some kind of average, if you like, of what everyone else has done. Yes. So, 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 so. Um, I mean, I teach harmony and that kind of thing. And a lot of it can be codified. Yeah, you know, there's a rule for writing um, the cadence or whatever. And 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 once I once I got that down, because you learn, you start you start to learn by following little rules often. Yeah, till you've got the skill. Yeah, and when you've got the skill, you're free. It's like it's like learning how to paint, and you might learn oh, if I mix that color with that, I'll get yeah. that. And you learn some techniques, and and after these techniques have been learned, if you only stayed at the level of technique, you're never an artist. Yeah. But but when you've got that toolbox of techniques and you can go yeah. somewhere creative, and the technique should be the vehicle for something yeah. beautiful, right, and yeah. good and true. And, they help yeah. your intuition for the beauty be realised because yeah. you've got the technique to realise it. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know. I I personally don't think AI. I think you can imitate. I mean, you can imitate as a good technician. Yeah. Any style of music. Um, you can go. Oh yeah. 
I like we do it all the time actually when you when you're teaching people to compose or whatever. So um, we we can do this thing in the style of blues, this thing in the style of jazz, this thing in the style of Mozart, this thing in the style of Chopin. So so um, um, a kid was uh, I was tutoring online has been given an assignment at a school theme and variation. So he writes a theme and then he has to write the first variation in the style of Renaissance and then Baroque and then classical and then Romantic. So go through the music periods. So so he so you know presents this to me like. Well, how do we do that, you know? And, <laughs> and well, I don't know either. So I just go, well, let's have a look. Uh, Mozart's classical. Let's let's just go online randomly and look at one piece of Mozart. Oh, look, he's got that funny little shape. We could put a bit of that in there for yeah. your chords this time. And, but, uh, and then we can do this kind of thing with the melody because he often does that. Yeah. Uh, Chopin will do these twists and turns around the wrong notes and right notes. And if you start doing those, you might sound a bit like Chopin, yeah. but you're not really sounding like Chopin because no. Chopin's a genius and you're just a guy <laughs> copying some techniques. You're an imitator, yeah. Yeah, and that's what AI is. It's yeah. never going to be a genius. It's always going to be um, a, a good counterfeiter. Yeah. And 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 And... and for most people, I suppose, who aren't geniuses either, yeah, it'll still be better than them. <laughs> but but so 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 a lot of people well, will use it for writing. But I, I hate it. Like I, I don't hate it, but I tried it out a few times. On, I mean, I was impressed when I went. I typed in, um, "Give me an explanation of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit in the tradition of Saint Thomas Aquinas, good for a ten-year-old." Using three examples from daily life for each one, yeah. and, and quoting Pope John Paul and Mother Teresa and Saint Augustine, <laughs> and it did it. And instantly, it's done. Yeah, and, but when I read it, still, it's like, ah, oh, it hasn't got the right meaning of wisdom because it's gone everywhere on the net and yeah, there, just uh, collated. It hasn't. It doesn't know which one is really right. But then you refine it. And go rewrite this, emphasizing that wisdom is the right ordering of loves, and then then it fixes it. Yeah, and, and it's good if you're in a hurry. Yeah, but it can't. For example, I've been writing rap lately for um, a rap opera. I'm writing <laughs> as you do. Yeah. We're just writing rap opera. No, I'm only just learning how to do rap. Yeah, so I'm yeah. I'm the AI guy. I'm 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 going. How do rappers do it? Yeah, and you look for the best stuff and you try and copy. And then there's a good rap guy, Malachi. Oh, Malachi's great, isn't he? Yeah. So um, I, I, he's helping me lay down tracks, and then he refines a lot of the stuff. And then I realized, oh, it's, it's actually more like that than it is yeah. like that. And I realized all rappers is. So I used to think it was all about the words and the rhyme, but it's actually all about. It's all about the drum beat. It's all yeah. about the the the. If you're a good, amazing improviser of percussion, and you come out with a whole amazing rhythm, yeah. then you've got to find the words that have that exact rhythm, and you'll yeah. have a great thing. It's lyrical jazz, right? Yeah, it's yeah. lyrical rhythm. Mm. And so, and so, um, uh, anyway, I tried to do get the AI to write me when I'm in so raps. an AI rap. <laughs> Terrible. Was it? Uh, yeah, because, because my name is Robert. I'm not a hobbit. Yeah, it's like that. It comes out like a like a. Clever poem, yeah. but only a poem that stops at each line. You're never going to get a uh, Hamilton rap where, where it's got all the yeah. overlap and the internal. You can say, do it again with internal rhyme and this and that. Yeah. But that might be, maybe in two years' time, it can. But all it will be doing is imitating a style. That someone else created. Without the inspiration. Is this is this then, in a sense, the ultimate embodiment of, uh, of the diabolical where it can only ever imitate, it can never create for itself, and and all it's ever doing is taking what has gone before and producing an imitation. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say it becomes diabolical if we let it 
if we substitute ourselves for it. Yeah. So so it's a fake. Yeah. In other words, life becomes more fake. Yeah. If if it replaces our efforts because it's faster than us. Yeah. So so like not everyone who tries to write music is is going to be truly inspired, and not every piece is truly inspired. You could say, but if, even if you go back to Plato and he writes about inspiration, and it's a mystery, you know, because uh, when you come up with something really good for once in your life or something, or maybe every ten times or whatever, and you know, wow, I've hit the I've hit it yeah. that time, you feel like. I didn't really do that or me. I got that from somewhere. Like that yeah. fell out of the that fell out of heaven somehow for yeah. me. Or that was in the air. Like you get the feeling with Mozart, it's so perfect that that piece has always been out there. He discovered and it. And he found it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly proportioned and everything like that. And yeah. that combination was waiting to be found, but he found it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But but there's so there's I mean, obviously the creator creates, the creative person creates. But they they always in that sense of living in a deep gratitude that there's somehow um, there's some there's a divine element in inspiration. Now that's never going to be obviously an no. AI. It's a zombie, right? Yeah, and you've created it. Well, you haven't created anything, and you and therefore philosophically you can't live on in your art either because you didn't actually invest yeah. yourself in it. I know, I think it it might risk killing a lot of people being able to write or do all sorts of things. Yeah, but. Um, it could be very useful if you are writing a wedding speech and you and you don't know the person very well, but somehow you got asked to be the best man, and and you haven't got time, and then you suddenly yeah. get a whole lot of jokes, and they're all five clean. minutes clean jokes. Yeah, you know, must mention heavy things about the bride. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. <laughs> but um, I, I but I always think it's a sad world when even when kids think computers can think. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know that they're all just little combos of zero and one. Yeah, and and. When I was young, I tried to, you know, with the Sega computer and this basic thing with about six commands. Yeah, I managed to make a little poker game yeah. and a little Monopoly game, which I gave to my brother for Christmas. Yeah, and probably took you about twenty weeks to write it too. Well, I only knew how to go if that, then that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to that line. Yeah. Repeat that thing three times. Yeah. You know. Based on about five commands I knew, I managed to get a simulation of a poker game and a Monopoly game. So that was cool. I was only twelve. Yeah. But then, but then, um, but I knew. Of course, I knew the computer's not playing poker or Monopoly. <laughs> That's. It's, I've made it look like it is, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Surely everybody who works with computers knows the computer's not never doing any of the things it looks like well, it's doing. Well, no. Well, no, look, I read an article really? the other day. This is a true story. <laughs> I read yeah. an article the other day about a guy who was literally now dating an AI oh, woman. Oh, no. And he says it's the most rewarding relationship I've ever Oh, had. gosh. Because I used to say for a joke yeah. and talks in that, you know, I could write I love you on the board and then I'd say, oh, look at that. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> it, it, it loves me. You know, how can you get fooled by your own? I know. Type in, uh, you know, say something nice to me today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's sad. Eh? But that's 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 what I'm saying. It's the ultimate, um, in a sense, the diabolical dehumanization. Yeah. And you you are you can't even you think you're self giving, but you're not. It's a zombie. Yeah. It's soulless. There's nothing in it. Well, everything's degraded through. I mean, you know, technology should be a good tool, but yeah. what does it end up doing? Often, um, it, we just live in our imagination instead of in the real. We yeah. don't have presence with our friends. We just 
flick them or this or that. Yeah. yeah. So um Yeah, I have an online community. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah it's yeah. just online communication. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know you've got a good and faithful Protestant audience. But I would say that um, the great thing in the Catholic Church, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good is, way to start. Is, um, is, <laughs> I'll, I'll is the it, real presence. On. So yeah. you, if you want friendship to be realistic and and true, mm. you've got to spend a lot of time with a person, and and if, and uh, uh, any any distance relationship mm. never achieves the same thing, uh, while it's at a distance. You know, you can you keep up what contact you can because you have to be apart. Yeah, but you've already made the basis in presence, and you when you want it to be presence again. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think the Protestant Reformation turned uh, the Eucharist into a Facebook relationship rather than a, a true friendship. <laughs> right to, to the remaining my my beautiful uh, Protestant friends who are still listening, I love you, and on that happy note. In a way, you can sing what you like if you're doing yeah. that. <laughs> Robert, as you've probably got, yeah. the, got the just now, Robert is a uh, yeah is a man who does not mind a bit of sardonic wit yeah, from time are. to time. Uh, Robert, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Me Thank too. you. I mean, it's I, been I, two hours. Hopefully it's, we're not the only two because I have a feeling like we opened a bunch of topics and never got to the oh. thing, but... Hey, it's all out there and it's all true. So, um, well, I, you know what, I was, I was thinking just as we we're wrapping, I was thinking we probably, I was going to ask the audience, what do you think? But I think we should probably have conversations with Robert, come back a couple of times, yeah. Robert, and talk about some other stuff as well. Cause I know you, you are, you are highly qualified in philosophy as well. And, uh, there's a lot to talk about in yeah, this place. Well, um, today, I so. love the ramble, but uh, yeah. I don't know if anyone else follows it. But well, there we <laughs> no, are. it was good, mate. Well, thank you, Robert. Lovely. Thanks, Brendan. Bless yeah, you, mate. Good fun. Thank you.